0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Prequelizers, aka Season Six of Sequelizers. I am your host, Jack Chambers, as always, and joining me is Mr. Matthew Stockton. Jack, it's a real uh, grown-up name.
1: Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, that iconic, iconic day dancing quote. That i remember. well done.
0: Well done. <laughs>
1: You're welcome. <laughs> I planned that way in
2: advance. That's something I didn't just I remember.
0: <laughs> <Don't> believe you. <laughs> And of course, joining us is Mr. Tim Timatum.
2: Nobody puts Fidel in the corner.
0: <laughs> hey, there we go. Uh, I should try harder.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, that was the obvious one to go for there, Matt. And and Tim even put a little little Cuban twist on it as well. It oh. A little Cuban twist, just like the lovely little Cuban twist that is Dirty Dancing, Havana Nights. <laughs> what a yeah. What a what a film. What a prequel. <laughs> What a fucking idea. Comes out in 2004. Because, sure, why not?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Early 2000s, a weird time. Uh, people were at their heads in a very weird space in general because of the what was going on globally. And
0: you had a lot of really odd releases, to be honest. Yeah, 17 years after the original, which is mm. ridiculous. It, it's often, I think you can make that work if you do it in a certain way. But I think so often that executives or companies are just like uh, have you got anything on the slate? Uh, no Oh, we could do a sequel or a prequel to a thing that was famous like 20 years ago. Uh, yeah that'll make more money than just a new IP, won't it? Yeah, fuck it, let's just chuck it in it'll be fine. I think that's so often the case that they just churn out stuff like, yeah, they have nostalgia for, insert name of thing that people sort of have nostalgia for here. Uh yeah, because everybody wants a a dancing prequel.
1: We have this thing now where there is like a lot of nostalgia mining, and the eighties now slowly becoming the nineties is becoming everything they're drilling down into. But two early two thousands, I don't think there was a huge deal of it. I think that's kind of why the films from them are a little bit sort of stand out that they weren't really that bothered about it, like they like a different people. But you're right; it does come down to a producer effectively saying. Hey, we should uh, we should do this. This was popular. We'll do it again. It's like right. And, and to be fair, there was like a thing about reuniting groups of people. So you would have like, for example, you've got mail and my best friend's wedding, and they're like, well, this is the team mm. that worked on Pretty Woman or, or, or Sleepless in Seattle or something like that. You know, iconic things. We'll bring them back and do a different thing. And I, I think this might have been along that line, effectively. But we'll talk about the production in a minute because my. God, this thing was a fucking state. Um, <laughs> but let's, should we just have a talk about Dirty Dancing for a second? Because if I was to guess, in my experience of talking to people about films and such, a certain generation has a real strong nostalgia for this movie, Dirty Dancing. And as much as I don't want to generalize, It is also a very much a gender divide.
0: I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, yeah, as much as we try to avoid generalizations like that on the show. Yeah, it really does seem to be very gender divided. Like I hadn't seen the film until I started going out with Emma and she is a big fan of Day Dancing. We watched Mm. it together fairly recently, actually. I hadn't actually Mm. seen the original until fairly recently, let alone the prequel. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. And this is something we'll get onto in a second. This is a period piece. Why is it in the sixties? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> I had I had no idea. All yeah. I know is is the lift and the I had the time of my life and nobody puts baby in the corner and Patrick yeah. Swayze is super cool and sexy, and that's all I knew. I mean, that's basically all the film is, to be fair. And Melons but, with Establishist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had no idea. It was like, by the way, it's in the 60s. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is this is weird. I wasn't expecting this. I think and, having him be like a a, like a a working class guy and all this kind of stuff and him being like this weird like working class hero of like a weird Mm. summer getaway resort thing of a talent show i'm like (laughs) what is any of this how is the how is this made into a film apparently it's based on a real person's life and i was like oh well uh (laughs)
1: Fair I, enough. I would love to see the English equivalent where it's a guy working at Butlins in yeah. 70s or something. And <laughs> that's it's like, basically what, what it is. What is this? Yeah. yeah. Um, I,
0: don't, I don't know what they call them in America. Do they have like a vacation? Well, yeah, they, they'd go like
1: for like ski holidays and things with their family. There's sort of like a getaway. Obviously, this is just like to a resort of sorts. Upstate, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, it's a popular thing to do.
2: Well, I think it, it, I understand. it keys into a very specific subculture, almost, where it is this uh and and it's the kind of thing where so many stand-up comedians of the kind of 60s and 70s got their start in places like this and it's these these resorts in i think it's the catskills and places like that that were very popular with like affluent jewish families especially and yeah i i think it's it's a bit like summer camps where we don't we kind of have that here but we don't really yeah uh really. Yeah. it's the closest we've got is stuff like butlins and things like that but because of just the smaller geographical size of the uk they don't really like a butlins is also always going to be near something else um whereas these can be like kind of out in the middle of nowhere and therefore become their own little like when when they are filled up as a result they become their own sort of little community whereas you know if you go to Butlins, sure you can spend all your time there but you can also like go off and visit a castle or whatever
1: um or Regis or something <laughs>
2: exactly uh just to just a to flashback to my own childhood uh there um but uh yeah i i i um like dirty dancing is an interesting one because it got test audiences hated it and then it became an absolute juggernaut of the box office and i think that speaks a great deal to the way that Women and, and women's stories are often very underserved by Hollywood, because I th- I think one of the key things about it is how much it is baby's story, this kind of coming of age story that that we don't often see like in Hollywood, in that it is quite like it's quite about her sexuality and like becoming a woman and stuff like that, which
0: I mean, it has a fucking abortion subplot. is like almost like how we talked about saturday night fever before like oh this has substance and this has like things to say about particular subject stuff it's not just everybody dances and has a good time like i thought it was like okay yeah yeah.
2: and it and it's in a way that like i don't think you'd get away with a lot of what it does today because i think there is a a weird desire to play it safe and and Things have got a little more puritanical about showing like young people having sex, and you know that that may not be a bad thing
0: yeah, they're all they're literally teenagers in the first one, aren't they like seventeen eighteen yeah, like I think
2: she's meant to be yeah like eighteen I think so seventeen seventeen or eighteen, I think
1: it's one of those films that it's also it's quite confrontational but also quite coded, so it is a film that where you had something like Greece, for example which is, this is a story that the ladies can like. And it's it's that very diminutive, insulting kind of way. (laughs) Whereas this one is like, this is a story the ladies can like. We're going to talk about some real issues though. We're going to talk about like underage sex and abortions. But slightly covertly, because I don't know if the word abortion is ever actually said in the film. I could be very wrong because I haven't seen it in a very long time. But I remember when I watched it when I was very, very young and I was bored to fucking tears. Of course, I was an impatient little kid. But... I didn't appreciate what was actually happening, and as I got older and so on and so forth, I was like, "Oh fuck!" I actually realised what's going on now. I can actually understand now, as an as an older man or older person, I should say, that she's not just inverted commas sick. There's a lot actually happening here, and you know, uh, and baby's dad being a, a doctor is an important. Thing. All these various bits and pieces that they don't address. In the same way, we we talked about like on a on a Patreon episode about favourite actors, I talked about James Dean and Rebel Without a Cause, and it was very confrontational in that it talked to white middle-class people and said, your kids are not what you think they are. They're dealing with a lot of shit and they're drinking and getting fights. And it's like, no, they're not. How dare you? And this is a similar sort of thing in the 80s saying, your kids are not what they think they are. And I think the idea, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but setting it in the 60s, I know it's about this one person's life, does put it into a context whereby the individuals who are watching would then be 30 and 40 year old adults going shit, that does feel right. And then the kids who are watching at the time of the actual age that it's aimed at, as it were, the demographic of teenagers, are like, that's close to home. In the same way that John Hughes was doing a similar thing where the the, the movies and the storyline, the character types, as much as they can be quite heightened, resonate quite clearly with a certain age age group. Um, and I, I think for that reason, Dirty Dancing, as much as it is very, very schlocky, has a surprising amount of nuance and complexity to it that I think is written off very quickly. Um, in, in my sort of workplace, my day job sort of thing, there are people who don't like films and they don't get films at all. It's very painful talking about movies. But if there's anyone like, uh, I hate to say this, but if it was like a woman would say, oh, I don't really watch movies. And then another woman would say, no, you must have seen Pretty Woman and Dirty Dancing. Oh, no, I've seen those. I love those. It's... It's like almost like, here's your starter pack to movies, ladies. Mm. And so it's a horribly <laughs> insulting thing to say, but it unfortunately is an...
0: It's followed fact. by Cheryl Coe's, Let's go, girls. <laughs> <laughs> Do you
1: mean Shania Twain?
0: Shania Twain, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: but that's that's the point. That's the, it, it is like just this very strange rite of passage thing that you're handed down saying, you're going to like this. I don't know how much it will resonate with the contemporary audiences, but yeah, anyway.
2: But I think I think, like to me like it's so much better than something like pretty woman because it it, it tackles it, it it delves a little deeper into like yeah the reality of those situations and and the emotional reality of mm. them as well and i think that i think it does play a really interesting trick by setting it that kind of 20 years back or or probably 25 actually where it's it's kind of saying to parents watching with kids, like, yeah, you got up to the same shit. Like, don't try and be all high and minded about your teenagers, yeah. like, and, and rebelling now, because yeah. you were doing the same exact thing. It's just, you know, the, the music, you've forgotten, basically. The music You're an has adult. changed and you've forgotten about it. And you've, you've, yes. you've got a nostalgic glow of what life is like. Um, there's,
1: a, there's a quote from a French monk from the 1300s, which... I don't remember the exact phrasing.
2: Such the, that start to a sentence. <laughs>
1: and it was dirty dancing is my favorite film. <laughs>
2: Nostradamus. Um, yeah.
1: Um, it was basically the idea that uh kids these days are too loud, they live a fast-paced life, they're crass, their music sucks effectively. And it's like, wow, things never fucking change, ever. Every generation is the exact same thing, and you'd think people would learn that, um, but we always forget. In the same way that, you know, our generation at our age of 30s will look back on... Speak for yourself. 30s, Jack. When this is released, you'll be 43.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Still be 29 for the record, thank you. Within
1: your 30th year of birth. So, effectively speaking, but, you know, we do not in any way... And we always talk about this as well with... um, if we are talking about television writers or certain film writers, where you have a group of 40-year-old men writing for, effectively, teenage girls. And you're like, what are you doing? You don't know what you're talking about. Um, I think, yeah, Dancing is is interesting because it is based on an... uh, uh, Well, loosely or not, we'll see. Based on an individual's life. Therefore, it has a specific resonance with people who would be able to associate with that kind of thing. But the truth is the reason it's kind of timeless for a lot of people is everyone's felt like a bit like an outcast who doesn't get on with their parents and there's a cool person they really want to get on with and people like music and dancing and except for me and (laughs) i like music but do not like dancing and um i think there's a sort of well see I think I think there's a universality there. I think there's something that is quite approachable. But have you guys seen the trailer or at least I don't think I wonder if you've seen it, the 2017 ABC made-for-TV remake of Dirty Dancing with Abigail Breslin as Baby.
2: I saw I saw some still images from it, but I have not seen anything moving.
1: <laughs> neither have I. It did not it look, look good. It looks no, it, it it looks like a, a sort of. College humor parody kind of thing. You're like, oh yeah, very good. Oh no, you're being serious. Oh god, <laughs> god the wigs are
0: noticeably bad and all yeah. that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like Bruce Greenwood or something is playing the dad, and it's just like this is not good. <laughs> and again, something's. I know they did like Footloose is another example of one of those sort of 101 pack as well. And they remade Footloose, and that was a, that didn't go down very well. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah, I think I think it's fair to say Dirty Dancing is a classic. But it's, I think it's one of those things where it's a classic because it's one of those rare movies that actually did tell a story from a perspective that was, hitherto at that point, unheard of. In the same way, there are lots of really interesting stories about Asian culture and African-American culture and different gender people, all over the place, and trans people. There's all kinds of marketable things that are out there now, but they aren't the best. There happen to be some of the first, at least for a certain demographic, for a certain age group, that kind of thing. Um I think there are some really iconic pieces, but I think the best stuff is sort of really yet to come until society catches up and it becomes more mainstream. I think if anything, Dirty Dancing told the produ- or signaled to the producers there is a market for this. You made this for what five million or whatever it was, and you made, I think I think I did three hundred million dollars or something stupid like that. It's like it was an enormous, enormous success, and subsequently it's like right, well let's just drill down this market and make as many copycats as we can.
2: Yeah, I think I think I mean I think it's genuinely a good film. Like I think the performances and the chemistry are really great. Sure. Um and I think it's I think that there is a certain blindness uh of being guys going into this. Um yeah. and and I think the fact that it's talking about like some of the things it talks about without really talking down to the audience or getting mm. uh, particularly more more the without getting particularly moralistic about stuff, I think makes it notable. And I think there's a certain, because it's seen primarily as a film for women, as mm-hmm. much as it was recognised as like, oh, this is a huge hit, it was, you know, in in a stupid way, it was kind of filed away to the side and said like, oh no, but that's a, that's a women's film, as if yes, women exactly. don't make up yeah. 50% of the planet. And I think it genuinely kind of, looking at the great films of the 80s, I think it, it belongs up there with them. Because it, it you know, it it I think it's it's one of those things where it's not trying to tell a particularly ambitious story, but the story that it's telling, it tells absolutely perfectly. And I think that there was for a while, it, it was never a cult hit, because that would suggest that A, it wasn't a massive success when it came out. Sure. But sure. but I think it I think the fact that it 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 kind of came out during the, the peak of the uh, VHS age, like, mm. sustained it and meant that it had a life beyond even the people who saw it at the time, you know, and really loved it. It, it continued to be a staple of especially, like, teen girls growing up. And so I think, you know, and, and by the time it got to, like, the 20th anniversary of it, like, when they did a celebration to mark the 20th anniversary, and it was, like, a big deal because it had become both so ingrained in pop culture, but also for an audience that is still, unfortunately, underserved by a lot of films. Yes, um, yes. And and to have something like this where, yes, it's fun and escapist and, um, you know, a kind of uh, completely adolescent fantasy, but also it is grounded in reality um, and it does have those kind of slightly darker moments of the real world in, in impinging in on on stuff i think it's a it's a unique mix that that then a lot of the films of you know we talked i I think like the john hughes comparison is completely worthwhile because he did he is very good at doing that same kind of thing but i think a lot of the teen films of the 90s didn't have that um especially the mainstream ones Mm -hmm. and so i think that's a reason why for kind of people of our age especially like dirty dancing <coughs> has remained so important is because you know you compare it to like american pie or something you know and obviously there, there's different they different models um or or even something like say you know legally blonde like as much as i love legally blonde like it doesn't have that same degree of reality and verisimilitude that that dirty dancing does
1: Yeah, I think that um, we may mention this in a a previous episode. I think Alec has brought up in the past, oddly enough, whereby the how, and let's face it, when I say children, um, for a lot of people, that includes teenagers. Um, But the way children were viewed in the 90s radically changed from this 80s sort of like scamps on adventures and their mini adults to things to be protected and cute and innocent. And it's like, that is... Very odd. So you get like, you know, home alone and 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 Matilda and stuff at the in the early 90s and things, bad things happen to kids. And then it changed to this very Disney channel sterilized version in the late 90s and early 2000s, and that kind of go on from there. I was like, oh. Mm. And so you didn't address things that you say like with with the hard-hitting darker edge. And that would also include arguably teenager stuff. You'd you'd have less of these these stories. And I know there's always examples of, well, actually, these stories are being told. But again, I don't want to make it seem like Dirty Dancing was like a trailblazer film. It's not really that unique. I think it just got bundled in. So like with um, Steel Magnolias and, and other things, it's like, oh, these films are for women. And again, I, I, I can't stress snuff. enough. When we say this, we're not saying what it should be. We're, we're reflecting on what Hollywood and, let's face it, society did, which is bundle these things together. They're for you, ladies. Here's the notebook. Go cry. And it's like, what the fuck? These are actually very functional, decent films. They're just telling a different perspective of a different prison that you're not used to seeing on film because of course you fucking have not because, you know,
0: men. It did kind of pioneer, and we touched upon it earlier, that like you said, it doesn't necessarily mention the word abortion, but the way it's handled and the mm. way that Penny, the character in particular, is not like demonized or like cast out. And and Tim used the word like puritanical there. Like that's a classic example of things that americans still don't like and are still Christ, fighting yeah. over state by state by state and all this kind of stuff it's so ingrained in like the christian american that which is hollywood whether we like it or not that is oh, yeah. kind of where yeah. the majority of filmmaking is based for this kind of stuff oh. it's, it's it tackles it in an interesting way. like she doesn't have a good time but she it's all tackled and handled in a really <clears throat> sensitive and realistic way Mm. And I I was reading like, in preparation for this, like how do people react to that at the time? And there were some like charities and stuff like the equivalent of planned parenthood and all that kind of stuff that were like, yeah, this is a great introduction. Like parents, this is the kind of thing you should be aware of that, you know, it can go wrong. Things can handle, be handled in different ways. And this is how you should, you know, support your children if they're going through events like this. Mm. I thought those a really interesting. I hadn't really occurred to me whilst watching it. I Obviously, noticed that scene, and it kind of like stands out. Penny, Penny's character kind of stands out in that way. But putting it back into the mindset of the 1980s, where it's all like, AIDS is around. If you have sex, you'll die, and all this kind of stuff. And it's all like mm. you know, hyper puritanical, even back then. Mm it's a weird thing to be like, this is the 60s and we're talking about abortion in a in a realistic and honest way. And I thought that was a... 10 years thing. before Rose vs. Wade. Sort is, of yeah, yeah, exactly. That is one way that it really did kind of push the boundaries in that way and, make, and makes it more interesting than just, like I said, a bunch of people having a dance in a resort <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah.
2: It makes a really interesting companion piece to Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which had Ooh. come out five years earlier and also had like a quite frank subplot <laughs> dealing with abortion, but was something mm. that was set contemporary um and and again i think it's that little bit of a kind of slightly sly look to the parents and be like don't pretend you didn't get up to shit at your age of yeah. like you know oh you were so scandalized about the 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 kind of the frank way that was dealt with but you know back in the 60s people had those same problems and also it was a lot fucking riskier <laughs> because there yes. weren't you know the 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 same healthcare available you know and it and it had to be dealt with you know on the sly You know, and obviously still is in a lot of places in America. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've talked a lot about why Dirty Dancing is good. Shall we get into its Cuban predecessor? Okay, so
1: (laughs) right, right off the fucking bat here, as with a lot of these things, where you think to yourself, "Why is this a Dirty Dancing film?" And you can kind of dancing in it. (laughs) You can kind of trace this back to a producer's meeting where they've seen a really interesting, solid script. And said, "Yeah, feels a little too ethnically diverse. Uh, should we just rework it into something else? What do we want? Oh, dirty dancing is quite popular. Why is that? It's coming back again because of the anniversary. Do we still have the right dirty dancing? Yeah, we do. All right, fuck it. Just make this a dirty dancing film. We'll bring back like you know. Uh, we'll have a little cameo from um <laughs> a twenty years older Swayze, Patrick who was Swayze, a dance instructor, precisely. Yeah, yeah. And there's like this will work fine. It's like." Right, but do you know when the films are set? Yeah, like nineteen sixty something is it
0: is that Johnny? No, it can't but it can't be It's but, so no, weird
2: like the fact he's
0: just unnamed instructor, like because okay.
2: like, this is set I think what 10, five, years five, five years before five years before.
1: Yeah. And well the, the Cuban Revolution was so I assume yeah. so. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes.
2: Yep. Patrick Swayze is obviously twenty years older, or or 15, 20 years older. And he, and so obviously he can't be Johnny. He cannot be the same character, mm-hmm. and yet they dress him the same, as if to suggest that he is like he's. i
0: frantically nodding. Listening.
2: Like he's so, like he's some kind of like mis. Like I think they got their Patrick Swayze films confused when they were making this, and they were like, so in in Dirty Dancing he's like a dancing ghost, so he's like a mortal. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Oh, okay. Well, that we works. can just we can just stick him in the thing then.
1: Yeah, classically producers who are like, oh, Dirty Dancing. Have you actually seen Dirty Dancing? No. <laughs> I was like, ah. Um, I, I. But my wife loves it, that kind of fucking ridiculous, coked up producer yeah. mindset. It, it is very complicated because for all intents and purposes, we've had discussions of, oh, is Prometheus technically a prequel? It's, I suppose it's kind of a spin-off. What constitutes a prequel? Blah, 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 blah. Dirty Dancing, ha- um, Havana Nights, is is a really difficult conversation. I don't think even classification has what to do with it. Some people see it as a prequel, because it, 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 they. some people all agree that Swayze's character is the same Johnny Castle. Other individuals see it as a reimagining
0: of Dirty Dancing, semi-remake. I, I, I consider it more of a remake, almost, mm. yeah, because it is just the same thing and tries to tackle similar things. So one thing we haven't really touched upon them perhaps my favourite thing that most resonated with me Mm. in the original Rosetta dancing is the discussion of class. Mm. Oh, yeah. And the fact that, like, even at the end of it, like, Johnny feels like he's not good enough because he's a working class, you know, kid Mm. bloke. Mm. He's he's an adult. I mean, Swayze's, like, in his 30s at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he's a working class guy who doesn't feel like he's good enough for baby or... Whoever else it is, like uh, the the whole rest of the crew, all these like you know yeah. doctors, daughters, and all this kind of stuff, and it's like okay, yeah, I don't, I I work for these people, I'm not friends with these people, I'm not accepted in their things, and they try and do the same thing in this one. It's just really clunky and clumsy, and just like, well, he's a waiter, huh? See, see, he's like Johnny, isn't he? He's just like Johnny, you know. Yeah, he's not called Johnny he's called Hove yeah oh, fucking <laughs> I mean they could have just called him like Juan or something like that. <laughs> more on the nose but fuck me it, it's just a it tries to do all the same things but it just does it in a lazy clunky way of doing it and I would yeah almost say it's more of a in terms of the actual plot it's more of a remake or lack of plot I guess but it just it's a prequel by the fact that it's set in the past for some reason Ugh
1: it's crap. again, I attribute that solely down to the production. This is a yeah. uh, the original script was about two Cubans as the revolution starts up, and one of them has to effectively um uh you know the revolution starts up, he's involved with it, she doesn't want to get involved, she leaves, etc. Cetera, etc, cetera, et cetera. It was gonna be an actual Cuban story, as it were. But again, then you say, Well, we don't want that, we want a dirty dancing story about the you know the class divide and things, and you're like. Well, hang on, if you're having like a, this, let's face it, the stuffy ivory tower of I'm from white money to I am in Cuba, that becomes a different thing. And not in a negative way. That can be really interesting. Um, West Side Story style, that can be fantastic. That can be really, really interesting. Charged politics and um, racial tensions, all kinds of things going there for, for, for story fodder. That is a really good starting place. In fact, if anything, this should be much more interesting. Than Dirty Dancing,
0: exactly. It has yeah, the, the potential fact to you have that design that that divide between the Cubans and the Americans mm. should be should like exacerbate those issues and make them way more pronounced and way more like mm. Mm, integral to the plot because the fucking Cuban revolution <laughs> fa- want, yeah. what more do you want the,
2: fa- the fact that this is set during a literal revolution and it feels lower <laughs> stakes than dirty dancing is like <laughs> yeah. bananas like it, it it does almost nothing with the setting like the setting mm. is reduced to just kind of literally window dressing like and obviously it has it has this tiny subplot about javier's brother being involved in the revolution. And yeah. and the revolution kind of is the 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 kind of the impetus for them being separated at the end, but beyond that, like it like you could set this in Miami and it would not feel substantially different. I agree. Absolutely,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I do it like do it like eighties in Miami or something like that. That could work quite well. Scarface. I mean <laughs> or we're, sure. Or we're
1: no. dancing. <laughs>
0: no, less Coke, more dancing. Scar- Scarface on. Oh no, doorway. just just as much Coke. <laughs> it In was fact,
1: the eighties after all. More on the 50s. Um it, it, it is interesting because Again, it's it's the remnants of a script. Uh, I believe I'm pretty sure the guy who who wrote the original script saw it and said None of my script is in there. Mm. I think there's one thing about people being executed that might be the only thing that's remaining in the script, but it's been pushed through a blender so much that it's so sterilized. Um, as Tim point, out, there's, there's 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 no real stakes as such. Um, and on top of that, you have the, the Ivory Tower people sampling the indigenous people. Always feels a bit... I mean, trying to do the Titanic thing. Where they go dance down with the Irish, yay! What a lovely time! They'll all be dead by the end of this film, and it, it also it, it because of this, because it doesn't have have the political weight behind it, because it doesn't have the actual nuance to describe what the revolution is, what it's about, um, stuff in Santa Clara, all the all the things that happened. It just basically fumbles it mm. entirely, and and because of that, you end up with this complete mismanagement of the situation. Because there's no there's no con, oh, not the conflict, it's the wrong word. There's no breakdown of whether the revolution is positive negative or otherwise and how people are affected by it it's just i believe this because i'm indigenous and it's going to co- get in the way of my romantic remote- relationship and we have to leave cuba now it's like what the fuck you- it was more fucking chaotic in the fucking godfather part 2 <laughs> and it's only in there for a little bit um it's 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 baffling
0: it's baffling going back to the production the original screenplay is based on a yeah, Havana Nights was originally what it was. Yes, um, going to be called ignoring the Dirty dance thing. It actually even had the title before that and was written by Peter Sagal, mm. who is an NPR host and playwright. Um, and that's based on a true story of a young woman like living in Cuba through the revolution. Yeah. And it's basically going to be this like romantic drama quite serious thing and dealing with how young people experienced the Cuban Revolution and all this kind of thing. And how the Cuban Revolution went from realistic and and it was how young people were experiencing the Cuban Revolution. And it was quite serious, like taking it in a very serious romantic political kind of drama thing. Hmm, yeah. And then fucking Lawrence Bender, uh... good old Lawrence Bender, who... Um, I'm now kind of like reading. I'm I'm just reading off notes on Wikipedia at this point, basically. But Lawrence Bender worked on Pulp Fiction, Rose to Fame, and kind of was involved in the pre-production of Segel's script originally. Yeah. Then went and thought, hmm, yeah, let's do a Dirty Dancing sequel. And then they just went, well, I I mean, I remember this bloke who did a thing in uh, Cuba. Can we, uh, maybe we, um, uh, maybe we just do that.
2: That's where they dance, mean? isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they,
0: they they're, they're latin, they'll dance, it's fine. Like apparently not a single line from the original script yeah. exists in this one. God. And the only thing that remains is the the Cuban Revolution bit. Mm. The 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 fact that it is is in the Cuban Revolution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It even says here like the remnants of the political theme and I'm like, hmm, I don't mean there's barely any remnants name, of the political name theme. Name checks at best,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the fact that the It's because Bender's actually a very capable producer. I don't know what the credit exactly is but I think around maybe 30 or 40 films of his have been nominated for like best picture. Um so he he does know the industry. He does know what he's talking about but like everything with producers especially and to be fair directors actors it's not always a fucking perfect hit. You can think to yourself this is it. This is a genius idea. Uh, time for Matt's holiday trip talk because you know <laughs> why not. Um I went to to Cuba years ago. I fucking love Cuba. It's really interesting.
0: Did you improve your dancing skills? Well, so I can't dance for shit. Really, and, and a six foot, what, six foot two, gangly, Irish gangly motherfucker.
1: <laughs> yeah, can't dance. All knees and I elbows, can't. and none of them work properly. We went. It was a, it was like a like, it was like a designed to be a huge tour of like it went to lots of different um, towns like Santa Clara and uh, and uh, Havana and some spaces It was very very cool, but it was like slight off season, so it was just me, my friend, our driver Jose, and I toured. Guide Anna. It was like this. Is, this literally has this customized tour. I was like, <laughs> "This is fucking great." Um, and it's a very interesting place. Charged with politics, and I love cigars. So I've, I think that you know, it was obviously my element there. And the food was amazing. I don't drink, but I still, out of sheer courtesy, at ten in the morning, sampled some rum, and it was very, very interesting learning about the distilleries. But Christ, I wasn't ready. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's 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 just a really. Vibrant, interesting place, and I. They said, "Oh, obviously, we, we, we Cubans, we love to dance." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." Um, do you dance? Nope. <laughs> let me, let me show you. Let me show this one thing, Meng. Um, oh God. I was like, "Okay, Meng, show me." <laughs> and he's. Um, you better not said that back. I didn't say Meng back to And I said, "Okay." He said, "What you do is uh, you sway so gently, right?" I was like, "Okay, I can do that." And he said, "Yeah, I see you loosen up. It's great. It's very interesting." And he said. And the things make a Cuban? Put your hand like this, your whole hand? I was like, yeah, okay. And he shows, he spreads his palm out, and he places it facing downwards, so his fingers point down, and he puts it literally on his belt buckle and goes, you just do this. (laughs) And he's doing this, with his hand on his belt. He's like, you know why? He points to the crotch. I was like, (laughs) right? He said, any dance comes better when you put your hand just here. And I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) But the thing is... He's not wrong. He's not wrong. (laughs) So... I, I was like, obviously, and 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 um, I mean, it does sound like a broad generalization. that Cuba's love dancing and, and and you know carnivals and festivals and things. It's like, I mean, I did see three of them while I was there, um, and and the healthcare is really fucking good. Um, <laughs> but that, that's one thing I did. The, the one, of the only dancing lessons I've ever received from any in inverted commas nation is, in fact, Cuba saying, "Just do this, just mate. Po- just point at Job your done. crotch." Yeah, And it's like problem solved. Um, so it I think. Does explain I think, your I just,
2: first dance at your wedding? I was very confused.
1: (laughs) I mean, there was nothing to be confused about. It would make complete sense. I told you, I learned in Cuba. No. um,
0: But the thing is... Cuban salsa dancing, pointing to his crotch,
1: all to Rammstein. (laughs) It's because I love the world. (laughs) (laughs) Du du hast, my crotch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, the, the thing is why, again, you can see how on paper, from a producer's point of view, this is a surefire win. How can it go wrong? Um, and I think there's a couple of words to how it could go wrong. One really important word, I'm going to just sort of careen a straight fucking two. Weinstein. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. I was I was thinking, it out. Well, we're talking about producers,
0: Yeah.
2: Yep. Oh. oh, Christ.
0: So, Romola Garais, this was her first Hollywood film. Mm. She is the lead in mm-hmm. Man Knights essentially. And said it was an incredibly negative experience that put her off ever working in film ever again. Yeah. And they basically like bullied her into keeping as skinny as possible mm-hmm. and trying to be, like, basically making her get an eating disorder and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, and also the whole Harvey Weinstein thing. She had to go to his hotel room in just a bathrobe and mm. have a meeting with him. Oh, and she's 18 at the time. Yeah. And it's like, fuck's sake. Just the fact that I mean, we were talking about, you know, the fact that the first film kind of represents women in a very positive and progressive way and all this kind of stuff. And then the thing that happens 17 years later for the mm. fucking prequel basically encourages a woman to never work in this industry ever again because mm. of the way she's treated, not only by infamous monster Harvey Weinstein, mm. But the rest of the producers and, and team being like, oh, don't eat too much. You need to stay skinny because you need to keep dancing and all this shit. It's like, Which is so weird hell. because, again, I, OK, I, I,
1: this was still at the time. I know I think, OK, let's put it this way. Um, In terms of like. Renaissance women, as it were, there is the idea that the the view of what is attractive constantly changes. Um, so, for example, during the period like 1700s, men had really, really narrow shoulders and really broad hips. And that's how the, the fashion would work for a coat, because it would say, hey, 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 I'm well off. I don't have to work the land and I'm fat because I've I've I been, eat, been eating well because I've got the money. And like, Oh, that makes sense. And it would obviously it evolves and changes and, and it goes back and forth all the time. Um, and specifically at that time was that the classic British joke, and I assume it's classically across the world, was does my bum look big in this? Um, yeah. The idea of like you must be thin and you must have arguably no shape but maybe a bust. It's it's weird, you know, of the time
0: Needs and to be obviously teeth but with boobs magically. Yes, exactly. And then yep. uh, we've now Gravity gone to defining age-defying boobs. Precisely, yeah. Yep.
1: And and now there's obviously the, the the generation that where it's entirely different now and it's based on pure curves and such like that and one as as possible in theory, and it's just the nature of how as much as I hate to say it because bodies aren't trends but. Bodies do trend, for lack of a better word. So, what I'm what again? I'm, I'm always going to butcher. I'm think her name's Romola Gary or Garrett Gar- Garay. Yeah. Garay, yeah. Gar- Garay. Romola Garay, yeah. Garay, yeah. Garrett Garay. Romola Garay, yeah. Point is, she, yeah. As Jack said, had a terrible time, but she's really good. She was in. Um, so I worked in a bookshop at the time, and I Captured the Castle was a book that sold very well, and there's an adaptation of it. When mm. I saw it, and it was actually quite decent. Um, similarly, she was in Atonement. I, don't, I rather like that film um with James McAvoy and Kieran Knightley. Mm. She's very good in that. Um and um Cisherone as well. Which is only
0: about? a few years after Precisely, Day of Dancing, yeah. And, like three or four years um,
1: later. Um I don't know what the American title is. It's called Inside I'm Dancing, it's an Irish film, but in I think American call it Rory O'Shea Fuck yeah, or some bullshit. <laughs> um <laughs> star- I don't know. It's about wheelchairs. Point is that um she's a very capable and good actor. And it is shocking how this completely forgettable fucking film that most people don't really even know it exists could have entirely tanked her whole career because of awful fucking experiences and the the pressures of the time but that is also unfortunately hollywood at times
2: i mean it's it it definitely feels like it redirected her career at the very least um because because of the terrible treatment she received and you know um, mm. having to deal with Weinstein. Because, yeah, she had just been in I Capture the Castle, which, you know, it's it's a small British film, but I think she'd got decent acclaim for that. And, you know, this could, you know, if this had, A, been a better film, but, you know, e- even, you know, a decent performance, you know, in a subpar film can then lead to you getting, you know, better roles down the line kind of thing. Um, Entirely. But she kind of shifts basically entirely to just kind of working on british productions then um so yeah she does like a couple more kind of uh, she does the adaptation of vanity fair that uh, Reese Witherspoon starred in mm, um, yeah, yeah. she does like some shakespeare and stuff she, uh, then a few years <laughs> later she does atonement um various other bits she was uh, in a, a adaptation of emma um, Yes. and yeah. um uh, the hour which was um a kind of uh, good drama that was on the BBC about the you know, oh the
0: BBC TV series yeah yeah
2: yeah, uh, yeah. she was she was in that um, but a lot it's, it's very much like you look down her list of films and it's like very centered on the UK industry which is of course perfectly mm. fine but you do get the sense of like if this hadn't been such a traumatic experience for her like it could have been something where she you know she became someone who you know did a sort of Kate Winslet or whatever and you know went on yeah, to have yeah. a career that that kind of spanned the atlantic
1: she does she does strike me a, a few similarities in terms of performance things to elizabeth moss and i wonder if cuz mm. i'm not elizabeth was also kept herself on on at the fringe as such but but kind of has in a way mm. um but the projects she's worked on have been fucking fantastic mm. um and again it's it's hard to gauge obviously we we, we you know we can only hypothesize and and, and speculate at this point but it but it, very much is like the, what could have been, had, you know, yeah. Hollywood not been so... And, and I, was saying, I should point out, this is not a past tense thing. Hollywood is still riddled with assholes yes. and monsters. Yeah.
2: Um, and and just, I'm sure, unfortunately, her story is probably not in any way unique.
1: No, not at all.
2: I think she and Diego Luna don't have a great amount of chemistry in this which i think is no, one no of the really. fundamental flaws of it is that the the chemistry between Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze is so good. Yes. And in this it's just not the same and i mean you you can't help but wonder if like what she had to put up with production like affected that because no one is going to feel particularly like sexy if they are being bullied into an eating disorder at that point.
1: Yeah. I, I will say, I do buy the chemistry during the dance sequences. Mm. The, da- the, the, the actual physical nature of the dancing that's done. We'll talk about the editing in a fucking second, but the dancing <laughs> itself is actually quite competent. I think it's quite impressive. Mm. Um I would also say much more fucking demanding than the stuff that's in dirty dancing. Uh other than the lift, for example. It's all quite straightforward.
2: Mm. I think it's I think it's interesting to talk about the choreography because I think mm. Like you say, it, it, from a technical perspective, it is probably more complex, but I don't think there's anything as iconic as no, Dirty Dancing true. has, that's whether that's the lift or whether it's um, like Baby kind of um, doing the, the lover boy bit when they're in the studio. Like, yeah, yeah. There's nothing in this film that sticks in the mind.
1: And, and that's because, I mean, I, I, Kevin Bacon and Patrick Swayze uh, I remember my mum Telling me something as a kid That kind of stuck with me And I didn't understand it She said Both of those men Move from the hips And I thought I don't
0: know what that means <laughs> <I> the <thought> fuck You talking about? mum They hold their hand And their belt yeah. buckle And point to the crunch
2: Was she fanning <laughs> herself While she did this <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe I don't remember Probably, Maybe I blocked it out um, But the point is that she, she was telling me this, by the way, while we were watching A Few Good Men. It wasn't like I was watching <laughs> Dirty Dancing. It's because he was walking... Kevin Bacon was walking across the room of the courtroom. Going from, going and like, he's going walking with his I was like, what do you mean? So, well, if you watch films like Putloose and Dirty Dancing, I was like, nah, and then watch, now." Nah, it's nah. <laughs> um, It's all the early teens sort of thing. And I was like, if you watch, they are dancers. They can... And John Travolta as well. You can't keep up with them because they're so skilled. And I was like, ah, whatever. And then you watch something like... Pulp Fiction, where Uma Thurman is doing a dance, and even then, John Travolta's kind of dancing circles around her because he's so competent, and he he has that physicality that... Oh, thunder. He has that physicality that he can do, and and it's not a statement that says, oh, only men can be good dancers because that's fucking stupid. I think this is more me saying, Diego Luna is not a dancer. And that's not bashing him because he can dance rather well in this, but there's a difference to a very strong natural rhythm For certain people. Tatum has it. Channing Tatum has it. Fuck me, has it. Um, But other people can can do good imitation. You can, it's like when you, like you do, if, if for example, you are from a bilingual family and you can speak fluent English and fluent Spanish or German or whatever, you can tell there's an accent either way, but they're still very good at it. Whereas somebody who's learned an accent or a dialect or something will have that, those markers, shall we say, that trips them up so you can tell. It's like, oh, I've never been to the East End of London before, and therefore I will do an impression of a Cockney. And it's like, yeah, I can tell. Whereas it's like, oh, no, I've been there quite a few times. I've got a few friends. I can kind of, you know, it's like, oh, okay, no, I, I can hear it in your voice. You're not, you're not from there, but I can tell you no more. That kind of thing. And I, I think it's the same with dancing in a weird way. You either have that natural rhythm for most of your life, you trained in it, like Fred Astaire style, Ginger Rogers kind of thing, or alternatively, you've learned it slowly in the same way that La La Land. If we're talking about the big dance numbers of the last couple of years, everyone's like, oh, you're imitating some of the most iconic scenes in Hollywood. It's like, yeah, but it's still Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone doing a pretty good impression, which is fine.
2: You're saying that uh, Patrick Swayze was born in the dark, whereas Diego Luna merely adopted it.
1: Tim, I've got nothing to say other than exactly, exactly. <laughs> Patrick Swayze was born on the dance floor. Yes. He just plopped out on the floor, and it's like dancing. Like some awful Son of the Mask sequence. <laughs> oh,
0: God. Can we not? Yeah. there's also one for your bingo cards as well.
1: <laughs> but also, we have to point out that Guy Furland, the director, he is a very competent and reliable TV director, I think. I think he can come in, get the feel of a different style of a show, adapt quite quickly and produce something efficient. He's worked on a lot of TV. In like fact, most stuff is, 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 is TV. And um, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that at all. It's a very, it's a different type of skills. It's like being someone who's playing rhythm guitar and lead guitar. It's like you have to kind of just work your mind a little bit differently because you're serving in separate purposes, as it were. Whereas a film director, you really have to have a whole thing. And I think his, his direction doesn't have a distinct voice or style because of it. And I think that's something this film lacks distinctly.
0: It seems to be a really common problem for us is finding these sequels or prequels or whatever. They're like, hey, do you remember that director guy? And I go, no, and like, exactly. That's the guy that directed the sequel because they found him from some TV show or he was mates of one of the other guys or whatever. It's like some guy with no signature style, no particular substance to his direction, no vision, no authorship, no nothing. It's just like... I just put the camera there and then the bad film happened and that was it kind of thing. And that seems to happen a lot with us. There's a lot of examples of these films where you get this, you know, going back to our old catchphrase of like sequels to good movies thing of like the first one is either this amazing, incredible, like revolutionary thing or brought to life by this incredible visionary director or whatever. And then the second one is done by a bloke you've never heard of or a guy whose career literally died because of that movie or whatever it is. And this is a perfect example of it. Like Furland is, yeah, he's done Walking Dead, he's done Sons of Anarchy, he's done bits and pieces, and mm. kind of known for doing lots of TV in the 2000s. And then, like, now oh, just, just give a TV guy the Dirty Dancing prequel, like. But he's he's reliable, and that's the key thing. I think he's, yes, he's fine. Because yeah. uh, we, while we that's always put thing. like the the
1: David Finchers and stuff on a pedestal, at the end of the day, those people could be fucking annoying because oh, sure. they'll try and yeah. warp the film into something it isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I think I think there is there is a a type of director that is just kind of robust and doesn't doesn't necessarily have a huge visual signature, but I think it's I think it's purely kind of a difference between being able to step between TV and film, because I think there are directors who can navigate that jump, um, and there are yeah. directors who work purely in film, and so that's just kind of what they do. And sure. this just this just kind of feels like a TV movie, um, yeah. And
0: very much, and so, it just yeah.
2: doesn't have, and it, and it's incredibly hard to put. I'm sure, like someone who is much more skilled at directing, could put their finger on like what 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 are the things that to me are just this kind of subconscious feeling of it. But <laughs> but there's there is just this kind of uh, a very kind of flat feeling direction that has mm. no. It doesn't. It doesn't need to be like Fincher. Or you know Kubrick or anything like that. It doesn't need to have this really strong style <clears> to it, but just something that kind of says this belongs up on a big screen, rather than this belongs, you know, on a Saturday afternoon like TV. To,
1: to, not to to boast myself as a as a good director, but eh, I've won <laughs> awards, so. The key thing to look for if you want it look for what's considered mundane or, de- or tedious or boring direction or something like that, it, it tends to come to that just as a, as a very simple bland 101 guide. Because comedy, for example, if you're trying to capture like a, like a a Paul Feig film, for example, you'll notice it's shot in a certain way. It's very brightly lit just in case you catch something because people might go left, right and centre. The 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 lens work is almost always one of two different lenses because you don't really care about Capturing a certain look, you want to capture what happens if they walk off and we miss something. We want to make it all focus as much as possible, that kind of thing, which is fine. But if you want to make sure like if you're halfway into a film thinking, is this being well directed or not? Here's two or three things to look out for. Thing number one, when someone is talking, is the camera on them? Because one of those weird mindsets of like a child mindset is the person's talking, to put look at them, look at the look at the person talking. Are they perfectly in the center of the screen? <laughs> yeah. Get get the other one talking. Turn back turn back to the other one again. It's only when you realize you don't have to constantly go bat, 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 mm. bat. And it's like, so do you think that? Cut. Yes, I do. Cut. I think that too. Cut. It's like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? Um and the other thing is angle and height. They're kind of two separate things. How high or low does the camera go? If it never goes like arguably below much of a waist level and never goes much higher than a shoulder level, I don't mean like the frame, I mean the angle of the camera, where's the camera placed? If it's not like a top down looking shot or a bottom through the floor look, because they're, they're quite difficult to do, and they're quite a pain in the ass to set up at the end of the day. Because you'd have to have a huge crane rig to put it around, or you have to have alternatively um, a, a floor dugout or, or a sort of handheld thing or something, to make it work that way. So if the camera never really leaves, what you can sit of like a sitting position or a standing position, that's boring. <laughs> but there's, and that's also not to completely discredit, but that direction is, is quite uninventive then. And it means that what you're watching, if you're not drawn in by the performances, will be fucking tedious. Because there are so many directors who have done that. also then you have the nature of how how much of the shot is actually in there. So how much is tracking, how much is stationary, blah, 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 blah. But just as a guide, if you're watching a film and halfway through you think, huh, that's why animated films have amazing sequences. And it's like, yeah, because the camera can move anywhere.
2: Yeah. <laughs> while we're talking about the kind of nuts and bolts of the filmmaking, the editing in the opening I sequence, yeah, like where where it is extremely distinctive, uh, but it feels like a <laughs> terrible music video. And yes. it is so completely unsuited to both the tone and the setting of the entire rest of the film. It Like when, when that first started up, I was like, what the hell am I in for here? Um, <laughs> and then there's like that sequence... And then it never really goes back to that. Um, It's like, for people who haven't seen it and, you know, completely understand people who haven't seen this film, it's, so it's like. I would guess
0: the majority of the listeners have not seen this film. Just throwing that out there. (laughs) A lot of them might not have seen Dirty Dancing, to be fair.
2: You should watch Dirty Dancing. You should. You should should not watch this. It starts with like a, a view of Havana and then it zooms out and the view turns into a postcard that it then is like stuck on a, board and then a car drives through and then the car turns into another postcard it's like it's this completely off the wall it feels like it's come out of like a ludicrous video um it's <laughs> yeah and 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 then and then it, I mean it's uh, 2004
0: so you yeah. kind of make sense and then sense. it
2: abandons it almost as quickly um mm-hmm. and if they
0: were like if they turn it into like a Opening scene, I'm like, move,
2: bitch, get out of the
0: way. Get out of the way, bitch, get out of the way. That I feel like works. they
1: did a similar thing in Mamma Mia 2. Maybe I'm wrong. Or they
0: opened with a ludicrous song.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's how What yeah. the, the one non ABBA song. <laughs> um, it, here's a little point because we did mention that the predominant members of our audience, I imagine, will have heard of Dirty Dancing, seen clips of Dirty Dancing, may have seen Dirty Dancing. Even if you're a fan of Dirty Dancing, I bet people haven't seen Havana Nights. What's more, I gotta ask—I don't think we've addressed this as a question. It should be almost a given, but I'm just curious. Tim, Jack, did you enjoy this film at all?
2: <laughs> no, no, no,
1: I not. no, no. Because sometimes you can go with things like, "Here's a prequel. It's all right." We—I mean, again, at the start of the season, Prometheus, we were all saying, "That's pretty." Good. That looks nice. That's that's the bones of something here. This is quite interesting. And you can like bits of it. And there's always one of us who goes, Ah, I think it's alright. There's some things here. This just is not an and, I, and I'm not saying good or bad. This is not an enjoyable film. Um you could either watch like Soderbergh's Che Guevara movies, you could watch like uh, the motorcycle diaries or something like that, for example, and have a really interesting story about, you know, South America and Central America and all that sort of stuff. There's lots of there's tons of films you could actually check out, obviously. I don't think this is in any way doing a service to any of the historical stuff. And even as a dancing movie, it's like, oh, no, i like step up and things like that. It's like, okay, fine. Here's this. No, I don't like, I don't like this. I don't know what this
2: is. It's it's just extremely <coughs> flat. Like there was very little that I yeah. hated. Like I was That's worried the thing, yeah. when that yeah. opening sequence kicked off, I was like, what the fuck is, what, <laughs> what, have, what have you got me into Stockton? Um, but uh the rest of it, it's just so bland. Um, mm. And and like you say, it, it completely wastes what could be a fascinating setting. I I often look, you know, when I'm going, I don't know much about the Cuban revolution. Um, and I was hoping to come out of this with like a little bit better understanding <laughs> of it. And it's like, no, I don't. I'm, well, it's,
1: it's I, so complex. And this film is so reductive with the whole thing. Yeah. Like uh, when Batista leaves, like, yay! <laughs> it's like. But you, you all seem quite free as it is. I don't think it. It's, and
2: it's, it's like clear how the, why you're angry. The fact that they're just like, yeah, the fighting's happening like outside of town over there, where we don't have to show it and we don't have to waste any budget on it.
1: Yeah. Again, Godfather Part Two. Michael feels like he's in danger in a car, mm. and the chaos and discord nature of the whole thing. It's like, it's brilliant. Um, and that's a subplot of a huge epic, as it were. And then this one, which is. The central, arguable focus of this, or the, set, uh, the subplot of the film is a, the revolution. It's so underwritten and underrepresented. It's, it's
2: it's the thing that supposedly would make it distinct from the original Dirty Dancing and make it not yeah. just a complete rip-off, and they completely fail to, to utilise mm. it.
1: It's one of the few examples where a prequel could literally surpass its, its original.
2: The, the one thing that did really jump out as bad to me was the... And and it's interesting because Dirty Dancing does this as well, and it sometimes leaps out in that as being unsuited. Even though Dirty Dancing has a lot of iconic songs that were written specifically for it or written, you know, taken taken from contemporary music, it manages to blend them together a little bit better. And obviously Dirty Dancing also saw a revival of a lot of the kind of sixties music that was involved in the film and, and stuff that charted again after it had featured in dirty dancing this because the time difference has grown even more vast you've gone back in time for the setting and forward in time for the contemporary music
1: Yeah. when Lord they Christ.
2: when they throw in the contemporary music it feels so jarring because it completely breaks that sense of setting you know and and the fact that you know most people watching this aren't going to be Cuban um, or having grown up in the Cuban revolution. You know, when you, when you've got, when you've got the setting of Dirty Dancing, it's a lot closer to something that we might, you know, conceivably understand. And yeah. so the leaps between 1980s music and 1960s music are not so big and not so jarring. Whereas in this, they just, they yank you straight out of that setting that, 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 the film has not particularly immersed you in to begin with. Yeah, it's th- those really annoyed me.
1: I, th- I think that actually is, is something worth worth drilling down on for a second. I'm going to do some quick maths, if you don't mind. So to be alive during the Cuban Revolution and watch a film in 2004, you must be at least 45 years old to be born there. Say, for argument's sake, you're also 18-year-olds as the main character is supposed to be. You're a 63-year-old person. So if you are one of the few individuals in this tiny Venn diagram of happened to be living through the Cuban (laughs) revolution and wanted to watch a dirty dancing movie. Yeah. Um, You're at least 63. You're at least 63 years old and just going, nah. And probably not
2: wanting to hear Wyclef Jean on the soundtrack.
1: Yeah. I don't. (laughs) It's like, Oh, we'll see all the the, the sort of classics of my childhood from the fifties and forties. And you're like, and I think, I think the film does do that quite reductively as well. It will do the classic, like, just play Latin music. It's like, what do you mean, Latin music? That's a huge, huge, broader range of like of culture. You know, trumpets and shit. Right, good, fantastic. Get some
0: Santana in there. Put piano.
1: Dang, da, den, den, den. nailed it. That's wow. exactly it. Fuck's sake.
0: Get Christina Aguilera to sing a Spanish song.
1: <laughs> Fuck. And and that's that's the kind of the thing, isn't it? It's it's it's, I. It's very much like you know who wrote this story and the original is very much a you know it's a it's, it's a it's a personal piece based on a, a, a real life event as it were and it's a serious thing with a remote romantic backdrop oiled down to what can it be described as what does a white guy think cuba was like in the 50s and you're like oh pretty much dear. yeah and, and the thing is you know that that's unfortunately a nature of the prism of perspective i'm not saying it's impossible i'm not saying you can't tell a story that isn't exclusively about, in inverted commas, your background, your people, your history. Because of course you can. It's called empathy of the human fucking race. But you will have a much more unique understanding of it if you come from it. In the same way that any any second generation or first generation immigrant will tell you, that their parents' view of their homeland when they go back, it's not what they think it is. So for example, um, everyone who's what the Irish like to call Plastic, uh, a plastic paddy, like myself. Where they're like, no, you don't count. You don't. You're not. You know. It's like, well, I've got a passport and, and citizenship. Yeah, I know. I hear that, but you don't count because you didn't go to school there. You didn't grow up there. You didn't do that thing. And uh, you know, that's all fine. Well and good. It's what it's what fucks off the Ameri- uh, the Irish about the Americans, for example. They cling to an idea of Ireland that doesn't exist anymore. In the same way of like, you know, you hear so much uh, stuff of um, Eastern European grandparents in in American films of, ah, back in the old country. It's like, yeah, that old country isn't really there anymore. That's not really a thing. So you can write about these stuff, but the, the, the way, the perspective you're telling it from is always going to be warped. And that's why you can, but then th- the truth is then you can tell a more interesting, different story, like the fucking, um, like the Farewell or um, or Tiger tale, Something and like that. There's so many interesting stories you can tell about that next perspective of it. You shouldn't have to say, should we get someone who's just going to guess their way through this because they did like a gap year there or something? I mean, for example, as I said, I've been to Cuba. There's no way in fuck I would literally, unless I was like co-writing with somebody who has knowledge of that experience or is incredibly well-versed on it, that I'm going to say, you know what I'm going to do? Write the fucking Cuban story. It it just wouldn't land with the impact that I would want it to as a filmmaker and a storyteller.
2: Yeah, uh, it's it's going to be an interesting point because I I have essentially done that I've I've waded into a community that I have no reference for uh, for oh. my pitch but I'm not making this film and the first thing I would do if I you know if if someone was like oh okay we actually really like this pitch we, we were thinking of making another Dirty Dancing film would be do a buttload of research on history and make sure mm. that everything that I was doing was accurate and uh, I mean mine's spoilers for the second half of this episode mindset set in the 20s so I doubt I'm going to find a mm. co-writer who has lived through that, but, <laughs> but I would the history is there. I would yes. definitely aim to find someone who was like closer to the community I'm representing to yeah. co-write and make sure that everything felt mm. authentic.
1: I should clarify this isn't me like because I, 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 the classic contradiction is, guys, that's a good that's that's a good point. But here's the entire history of sequelizers. And you're like, yeah, it's different <laughs> 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 because equally we're talking about you know, who would we bring in? Who would be the people? For this? It's it's about being producer and sort of the right in the pitch so you guys have something to listen to, basically. But yeah, Tim is yeah. entirely right. It's, yeah, yeah.
2: However, before we find out exactly what I am doing in the 1920s uh, with this <laughs> Dirty Dancing prequel, we're going to throw an ad at you. Stitcher Premium is a fantastic platform for listening to podcasts, uh and for other audio content, you can get like comedy specials on there as well. Um, and when you get Stitcher Premium, you get access to uh original content, bonus episodes, um, even more comedy, uh, a whole bunch of extra stuff. It's a really good uh way of accessing your podcasts, um, a really good way of discovering new stuff as well. And you get all of those shows ad-free on Stitcher Premium, so you don't have to put up with us advertising uh stitcher premium on when you listen on stitcher premium
0: like like this ad for example yeah. <laughs>
2: uh, and uh it's a it's a really good deal as well it's 4.99 a month uh, in dollars or you can get a year for 34.99 and if you go to stitcher.com slash premium and use the promo code sequelizers then you get a month free as well so take advantage of that go sign up today and explore, extend your podcast horizons with Stitcher Premium. That's not their official tagline, <laughs> but it should be.
1: Can they have it for a price, Tim?
2: Yeah. They, they can buy that for a dollar.
1: Well, like, what I'm hearing is it, it's, it's, it's a podcast app specifically. So if you want to learn about the Cuban revolution, good way to do it. If you want to hear Cuban music bad way to do it funny about the
0: history of cuban music good way to do it (laughs) yeah (laughs) nice so before we get to fixing dirty dancing havana nights we of course need to refer to our good friends at rotten tomatoes and work out dirty dancing dirty dancing havana nights and i've got a little treat for you gentlemen i've got the a treat (laughs) oh yes A, a treat for you the aforementioned 2017 <laughs> Dirty Dancing Remake. What the fuck?
2: Uh, it's on there. You've done, you've done a Tim and a thro- thrown a curveball in there as well. I've, I've done a Tim
0: indeed. <laughs> and also, particularly interestingly, I want to discuss the difference between critic score and audience score for these films, because it is yeah. I, I have a suspicion. I have a suspicion. It's interesting. As you know, Rotten Tomatoes, it's not... An aggregate score in a percentage, it's the total percentage of positive reviews from the critics' reviews. So if we say fifty percent, it's <coughs> half and half. Someone gave a positive review, which is more than half, more than fifty percent, and someone gave a negative review, less than fifty mm. percent. It's not an average score of yes. all the scores put together. Yes. So And a positive ranges from
1: yeah, that's was all right, to that was the best movie I've ever seen. So it's correct. a
0: huge spectrum. Yes. In theory, has the same weight as a 60% in terms of positive or negative binary (laughs) systems. Actually so, yeah. There you go. So let's start with 1987's Dirty Dancing, gentlemen. What do you think the score for the critics, I hasten to add, them. we'll get we'll uh, do audience set afterwards. Yeah. Critic score for Dirty Dancing nineteen eighty-seven.
1: I, I have my suspicions because I, I mentioned about the nature of this being pigeonholed as a in book, a woman's film. And I think the endemic nature of how e- even now how films are absorbed. I mean, fuck me, all we have to do is like look at any female-helmed mainstream film. If you take the big canon at the minute, Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel the amount of fucking backlash and hate
2: mm.
1: tends to fog any actual critique. So the bias comes in rather heavily. And also people don't seem to have the language or capability or capacity to critique it properly. They're like, yeah, I don't really understand that. It's like, yeah, you don't understand it because you don't understand the fucking, oh, fuck never <laughs> mind. Don't worry about it, idiot. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be actually surprisingly low. Mm. I think it's going to be one of those sort of classic things that did really well fiscally, uh, critically drubbed i'm not sure
2: where to Which start. Means, yeah i mean i remember i i i i'm pretty sure i remember seeing that like roger ebert like hated it um at the time surprise me
0: uh yes and i think ebook quite liked the prequel i think i read this <laughs> earlier this morning something like that a uh, long-serving rival a nemesis roger ebert let's
1: let's do it let's do it real um I'm gonna I'm gonna be bold. Fuck it,
0: which means I'm probably throwing this
1: in the toilet. In the same way that Shrek Two has a very very high critical score and they're wrong, <laughs> I think this has a very very low critical score and they're wrong to the degree we're like, you know, the, the same shock and outrage from last season about the Mummy Return. Oh, sorry, the Mummy. Full stop. Mm. The the Brendan Fraser
0: summer's one. So I'm gonna say, yeah, fuck yeah, it, fuck, I've, fuck I've, it, fuck it. I've got. Ebert's uh oh, we'll go ahead. Here, yeah. bear with me. Roger Ebert gave it a thumbs down due to its idiotic plot, calling it a tired and relentlessly predictable story of love between kids from different backgrounds.
1: I mean, it whereas, is predictable.
0: Whereas Siskel gave it marginal thumbs up as he liked Jennifer Grey's acting and the development of her character. So mm, no. Siskel and Ebert are odds <laughs> there a little bit. And they usually were. Okay, okay,
1: I'm
2: going to say, um, fuck it, 49... Wow. Okay. 49. Again, I, I'm 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 got to be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I'm not going to go as low as that. I'm going to say. But I think I think you're right. I think I think critics at the time didn't go for it. But but I think that subsequent revisitations will probably boost that up a little bit. So I'm going to say sixty-five.
0: Tim, you're a lot closer. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Sixty-nine,
2: dude. Nice. Oh, not good. But also so, that, should be a lot higher. Nice. Yeah.
0: but wrong.
1: I would say it's a solid. High eighty? 80- no, mid-80s. I
0: was, was going to so stick it mid-80s. Yeah, yeah I would, I would have so that, that would make sense. Yeah, Yeah, it is quite formulaic
1: in places, to be fair.
0: Okay, Havana Nights, Matthew, Stockton, what do you think?
1: Okay, so if it was 69, I I'll think... give them, you a
0: clue, it's lower than 69. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, I think it would be. I, I think that not enough people would have turned up to be bothered, and I think those that did turn up would have been pissed off.
0: Havana, Havana Nights has more critical reviews than the original Dirty Dancing <laughs> does, according to Rotten Tomatoes.
2: Wow! Okay. Bear
0: in mind they probably haven't caught up on all the stuff from the eighties. So. No, 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 no. Yeah,
2: and 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 stuff like that will have been lost to time. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. There are currently six, sixty-seven reviews for sixty-nine percent on Dirty Dancing, mm. and one hundred and eight of Havana yeah. Nights.
1: I'm gonna say for what it's worth, 20 percent. Tim,
2: I I feel like that's too low. I. I'm going to go 45. I think expectations would be quite low going into this. I don't think, I don't think anyone went into this thinking it was going to be as good as Dirty Dancing. Um, yeah. So I think that would have played a factor.
0: Well, there's of like, eh, not as bad as I thought. Kind yeah. Of
2: thing. Yeah, that's fair.
0: Matt, you're a lot closer. Oh. It's 23 for Havana <sighs> Nights. 23. <laughs> Down from 69 to 23.
2: I mean that's that's a big drop and it should be an even bigger drop in theory. Should be an
0: even bigger drop, yeah. And to round out the trio, 2017's dirty dancing.
2: Five. <laughs> Seventeen.
0: <laughs> Ooh. Tim, you're a lot closer. It's 19%. So no. Nope. That's the,
2: that's the <laughs> Have so, you have you actually seen it, Matt?
1: Or is that just I've seen I've seen a lot of it, I've seen a lot of clips, yeah. And I'm not I'm not gonna say the whole thing through because I got I don't know watch a TV special. Fuck that.
0: Clever casting can't save dirty dancing a hollow remake that tripped over its own good intentions.
1: Yeah. It's boring. It makes dirty dancing more boring. Mm.
0: Apparently Nicole Scherzinger's in it, so there you go.
1: Yes. And Katie Se- Siegel and Deborah Messing. And it's like, yeah, oh, Deborah, Deborah, Deborah Messing's messing, from
2: yeah. the mum, I believe. Yeah,
1: she is. Yep.
0: Uh, the
1: guy who plays Johnny is
0: terrible. At, uh, that is that is Colt Pratt. Yeah,
1: he's an and introducing, if I remember correctly. And, and and if you watch any clips of him performing, good Christ, it's fucking stilted. No offense to the guy, but fuck me.
0: Anyway, let's get into some audience score. Mm, this gotta be very different. Usually very different. I don't bring this up. Usually we stick to critic mm. stuff, but this is particularly interesting. Mm. I'm not gonna let you guys guess. I'm gonna open it up to discussion because it's an interesting. Please. One. Original Dirty Dancing, 1987, is 90% on the audience score with over a million ratings.
2: <laughs> that doesn't surprise me.
1: Yeah, in the same way that some people absolutely, for lack of a word, bum the shit out of Ghostbusters and Back to the Future and Gremlins and other things mm. from the 80s that invoke comes big boys films, I, I think there is also that bias there as well where it's like, it's my childhood, it's my it's the formative movie that sculpted who I am, I love it, etc. etc. I think that's an understandable rating because I think a yep. lot of personal projection is going on to it over the functional nature of what it is which is fine I'll save
0: the most interesting one for last I'll go to 2017's Dirty Dancing mm-hmm. has a 16% <laughs> according to audience score. yes
1: because people would have been pit- those yeah, same totally people sense.
0: doubly pissed it's off. crap and it's still crap a little too high the one that is a real problem is Havana Nights I'm going to let you guys guess this How much do you think the audience score for Havana Nights as of recording? Obviously, I'm gonna with. It's got two hundred sixty nine thousand six hundred thirty six
2: ratings at the time of recording. Based on your tone, I'm gonna say (laughs) eighty (laughs) two. Yeah, I I probably wouldn't go that high, but I'd I'd say maybe like seventies or something. Because I think the thing is that the people who are gonna bother giving it a score are the people who actually did enjoy it.
1: There's the polar ends that people who yeah. absolutely loathe it or love it that yes yeah.
0: It's higher than the original Dirty Dancing's critic score of 69. It's 73%. <laughs> 50 points higher.
1: Yeah. But like any like any like any film there's always a cult following who are like and as we have said in the show in the past every film is somebody's favorite film in theory. Mm. And
0: surely but not but not son of the mask
1: like no, the there are to the, yes, the there are serial killers them. who.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think Dirty dancing Havana nights must have struck a chord with somebody. It's that it's got to be a nature of
0: with the the pensioners who lived through the Cuban <laughs> <room>. <laughs> It's The
1: sixty-three-year-old Cubans and maybe some people who went on a date and happened to hook up with their wife. And I mean, case in point, not actually an exact copy paste story. Mind, I really like unironically. Oh. And unabashedly, the 1998 Godzilla film. Now, as an actual Godzilla fan, no, you, no, people make don't. people get really angry at me for that. <laughs> but the reason is because it's the last film I saw before I moved to Norwich, so I have a real affection for it. Because like, I I remember positive signs of like living in London and things like that. So that that is a different time for me, and subsequently, I have a positive memory of it. In the same way that the movie I watched before I got married, like the night before I got married, was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. The, the Michael Bay one? In fact, yeah, the produced by Michael Bay, yeah. I still quite enjoy that film because <laughs> I was already in a good fucking mood. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so you can have a bias to these things. So some people might just say, you know what, that was a great fucking time for me. Why is that? Don't know, it just was. I had a good day. what we're learning I is mean,
0: we can't trust Matt's reviews
1: to be unbiased. Always, always <laughs> be biased. People's, people's <laughs> own
0: perspectives, their own life.
1: If you see a film and you have like a fucking stomach ache, you're going to hate that film, probably.
2: I saw Spectre while incredibly hungover. And had to run out of the theater twice to throw up.
1: I mean, that might just. be expected. I did as well. But I wasn't
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, I think uh, especially when you look at the period for this, I, we talked about, or I, I mentioned how like Dirty Dancing has the the benefit of VHS and gaining yes. affection that way. Like, I can imagine this mid two thousands kind of height of DVD culture. This being yeah, a yeah. Like a slumber party,
0: step it up and all yeah. that other dancing yeah. bullshit. Yeah,
2: kind of standard, and I'd imagine there's 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 a clump of people who have affection for it because of that.
1: But let's ruin it for them by creating something better. Yeah, fuck you, people.
2: <laughs> and we've mentioned, aside from the weird Patrick Swayze cameo of like, is he meant to be Johnny? Is he not? What the hell's going no, on here? Fuck me. There is zero connective tissue between the two films. Yes. Um, And I wanted to make something that was better connected. But the problem is, is you don't like baby kind of by her nature, doesn't have a story before the film starts. Like she's meant to be like relatively sheltered. Seeing a a bit like we talk about in Solo, like I don't want to see Johnny, like he's such a fully formed character from the word go. Mm. I don't need to see like how Johnny learned to dance. (coughs) Yeah. So I was like watching Dirty Dancing and I was like thinking, where is there a story to tell? Which characters can I follow back to explore something interesting in their past? And I was struck by a moment where uh, Max Kellerman, who is the owner of the resort, um, mm. and is uh, kind of reminiscing uh, with his band leader, about mm. like how times are changing and stuff like that. Uh, and, uh, and then I started doing some kind of maths about how old they would be uh, and when they would have been growing up. Um, and so that is how I came up with, with my pitch. I've stuck with a very close title, but technically different. I mean, it is different. It's a di- there's a different word in there, but uh, I, I, it's, it's remarkably... It's
1: now smutty dancing, yeah. <laughs> and it's really not appropriate <laughs>
2: um, But it's remarkably close in terms of uh, the letters involved. So uh, mine is Dirty Dancing Harlem Nights.
0: Ah, oh, interesting. Right from the
1: get-go. I'm going to do what I did back on the um, Honey, I Shrugged the Kids episode. When I read this, because obviously we circulate the pitch to ourselves as an idea and things, we see the bits and pieces and have um, a brief overview and things. I immediately realized where Tim was going with this and thought, that is fucking genius. And I absolutely loved it. I thought, that is such a strong and interesting direction. And as you say, like, the, the, the not the obvious choice in terms of, you know, where you could go with things. So, yeah, al- already, soul, it was so very on board.
2: I have done it a couple of years earlier than Havana Nights, 2002. Partially in terms of I had people who I wanted to star in it, and it was a question of, like, you know, when 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 makes sense for them. Sure. But sure. also it means it's on the 15th anniversary of Dirty Dancing. Smart.
0: Marketing, baby.
2: Marketing, exactly. And director-wise, I've gone with uh, Casey Lemons, mm. who... Um, uh, probably she's best known. She is uh, the other cadet that is going through training <laughs> with uh, Clarice Starling in Silence of the Lambs.
0: Yeah, that blew my mind that it was the same person. Yeah, yeah. She, I didn't she know that until out- I looked it up when you mentioned her in your pitch. I was like, Casey Lemons. I know she's the I know her as the director of Harriet mm-hmm. and uh, a few other things. Yeah, and I was like, wait, is that the same person? Yeah. and mm-hmm. I was like, she was also an actress in. Silence of the Lambs. What the fuck? I didn't even realise that. Yeah.
2: Um. Yeah. So as you mentioned, she most recently in 2019 she did Harriet um, about Harriet Tubman, and she's had a kind of uh, an on-off career in the time since she's done. She's mainly been uh, teaching. Um, Mm. film uh, at various places. But in uh, 1997, she did a film called Eve's Bayou, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, which is a very good, interesting film. And she also did a film called Talk to Me in 2007 uh, with Don Cheadle as this kind of rabble-rousing radio host, former convict, which is a really fun film. It was important to me to have both an African-American director for this as I'm dealing with a lot of kind of, you know, it's set in Harlem. Yeah, yeah. And to have a female director, mm. because I think having that perspective adds so much to it. just ensures that the the female voices in the story like ring true. She struck me. She's she's someone who's done period stuff and done it very well. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought she was very kind of well equipped uh, to do this, and especially at this time period.
1: Yeah, I think she's... I I literally have no alternative suggestions. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's a great yeah. fucking choice. Nailed it. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, before I jump into the cast, one important member of crew, who is the, the sole returning person from <laughs> Dirty Dancing, <laughs> <laughs> is... I'm bringing back Kenny Ortega to do choreography, mm-hmm. who did choreography for the original Dirty Dancing... Then went on to do like a whole bunch of films. He's done choreography with Michael Jackson. He did all the High School yeah. Musical films, mm-hmm. um, like his
0: the High School Musical films. Jesus Christ, yeah,
2: yeah. You if you look through his like uh, IMDb page, like he is he is kind of a real murderous row of good dance films, um, mm. and he is a very talented choreographer. And
1: Hocus Pocus. And Hocus that, Pocus, that's... yes, which is
2: <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I, the, the as much as the. The dancing in Havana Nights is kind of competent and technically well done. There's nothing eye-catching about it, and I think yeah. Ortega, with Ortega you are going to get that factor. You're going to get a bit of the old razzle dazzle. So yeah, as I mentioned, no no cast members returning, as you might expect.
0: You don't want to cast an older Patrick Swayze as a younger Patrick Swayze. No, <laughs>
2: surprise, surprise. Which well, fair sure enough.
0: I mean that's your just that's that's your prerogative, Tim. Why, as we established a couple of episodes ago, certain fans
1: would be like, why why won't you just do that? Do that instead. Yeah. The the classic like just do Harrison Ford as Young Solo. It's like, no. No. No, Why the fuck would we do that? (laughs) Idiot.
2: Yeah. No. Uh. I. I mean, there may. I may throw in a cameo. If if I was gonna do cameos, I'd have both Swayze and Gray in in the background somewhere, and I would not have them interact with the cast. And I would also make it like obviously this is gonna be set in the twenties. It's pretty clear that they could not be by any stretch of the imagination the same characters. Um, Yes. So.
1: Reincarnated racists from the 20s. Patrick
0: Swayze in real life isn't even born yet. So, yes. Yeah. That'd be a stretch to make Johnny <laughs> like minus years old. Yeah. We can do it. <laughs> he's playing, he's doing like a. The And just playing his own dad or whatever. Like, uh,
1: yeah. There we yeah.
2: go. So, uh, for my new cast, as Chester Tubbs, great name. We have Tay Diggs. Yeah.
0: Good choice. Love Tay Diggs.
2: He's been in uh, Go and uh, done a stint in Ali McBeal at this point. and And most importantly, he uh, has been in How Stella Got Her Groove Back. Uh, he's about to go on to be in Equilibrium and Chicago at this point as the yeah. band leader. As Janie Price, Zoe Saldana, mm. um, who is is kind of up and coming at this point. She's uh, yeah. been in Center Stage, which is obviously a dance, another dance film, kind of a fame style film. Um, yeah. and Crossroads, the Britney Spears film. <laughs> <laughs> and around this period, she uh, she has a small role in Pirates of the Caribbean and The Terminal mm. as well, and then obviously goes on to do Star Trek and yes. Marvel and stuff like that. Mm. As Max Kellerman, we have John Favreau hey. di- directed our solo, and, and he would have just made his directorial debut around this point uh, in uh, making the film Made. Oh, yeah, of course. And, uh, yeah, so I'm getting him in uh, not directing, but uh, just acting. Um, sure. He's kind of in this transition point. Like, he's uh, a little bit after this, he's in Daredevil, but he also makes Elf, yeah. and he's kind of slowly yeah. crossing God, over. He is
0: in Daredevil, isn't he? Fucking
2: He's Foggy Nelson.
1: He's Foggy fucking Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not a, not an awful Foggy, but not an appropriate Foggy. No, he's,
0: yeah. he's fine, but, like, that film is so crap. <laughs> eh, I have a fondness no. for it. No, you don't. <laughs> if you're defending... <laughs> Two thousand and three's Daredevil and ninety eight's Godzilla in the same <laughs> thing, man. We're gonna have words. I am motherfucker.
2: As uh, Ada Thompson, this is a character I kind of I struggled a little bit to cast, and then finally stumbled across uh, Michelle Williams. Nice. Who would be kind of? It's just post Dawson's Creek. Um, mm-hmm. She's starting to do some other films at the moment, and obviously she goes on to be like a fantastic, amazing actress. Yeah.
1: Um, it's the kind of classic transition from TV to film. You have a supporting role. Mm-hmm. It doesn't pull too much focus, but it draws in a different crowd of people who would go, "Oh shit, her! I'm yeah.
2: going." Yeah, get the people who watched Dawson's Creek.
1: Yeah, exactly. You've got
2: to get those teens. Those fucking teens. As uh, Isaiah Price, or Isaiah, Isaiah, Michael Dawn, and that gets me in. <laughs> <laughs> that gets the Matt
1: audience. <laughs> yep. I should point out I would have been 18 when this film came out so yep
2: (laughs) (laughs) Worf's in this movie (laughs) (laughs) Worf's in it Um, yes obviously best known as Worf uh, in Next Generation uh, not Voyager uh, Deep Space Nine Nine. and and Mm. all the Star Trek films but also a very talented actor in Mm. many other regards true Um, he will not be in Worf makeup uh, for this unfortunately
1: (sighs) disappointed
2: (laughs) as Archie Coates uh, Vondie Curtis Hall mm. Another Daredevil connection He's Ben mm-hmm. Urich uh, In the Netflix series uh, He's mm-hmm. also Married to Casey Lemons um, <laughs> yes. So
1: I didn't know that shit <laughs> Yeah
2: Really uh, So he has shown up In a couple of her Different films uh, mm. Yeah So yeah. I thought Might as well Keep keep that continuing
1: No he's He's a very good actor I like him a lot
2: And as Langston Hughes uh, We have Andre Benjamin A.K.A. Andre 3000 Nice Star, uh, one, of, one of the members of Outcast Also yeah. dabbles in some acting He's done some bits around this time
1: He's, he's not bad he, uh, Revolver is a very controversial Guy Richie film that people do and do not like it Most do not He's pretty good in it He's, he's genuinely a standout actor I know there's, there's better examples of him acting But that's the one that came to mind first
2: of all for some reason But yeah, he's it's, decent, I like it He's a very small role in this um, But a very kind of pivotal one
1: which again, this kind of film, you it's like I'm also featuring this guy, yes. and people go, oh, I can see the early two thousands trailer <laughs> with its with its fucking narration.
2: <laughs> and then I do have a I do have another uh, a voice role uh, which I get to more uh, only shows up at the very beginning and and I have mentioned in the pitch itself, um, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that.
1: Matt thoroughly approves. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yes, I some some, <laughs> some weird patterns in this film actually uh, that I did not intentionally create, but uh, that's they, they are there. Um, so, without further ado, adieu. Without without adieu. Ado, ado, without further ado, let's get into the pitch. The film opens with a voiceover by an older Janie, voiced by Nichelle Nichols.
0: <laughs> hey, that's why
2: Matt's happy. Uh, explaining <laughs> You've the
0: Ahura and wharf in this film. Yeah, brilliant,
2: amazing. Uh, explaining the Harlem Renaissance and the summer that changed her life. The camera pans down over 1927 Harlem, with a caption stop, telling us the stop. date.
1: The camera pans down. That is, first of all, much better direction. Than anyway. <laughs> We're already better. <laughs>
2: uh, we move down into an upscale Harlem house where Janie Price is eating dinner with her parents. Her overly protective father, Isaiah, is a Methodist reverend and is involved in the temperance movement. He tells Janie he's glad she's not involved with the young jazz-obsessed upstarts who have become the talk of Harlem.
1: Their dinner is interrupted by Janie's friend Ada Thompson, who drops by to pick up Janie, claiming they're going to see a picture show. As Janie and Ada walk, it becomes clear they are actually heading to a club. Both have dreams of becoming dancers and excitedly discuss the latest reports of Josephine Baker's performance in Paris. They travel to Ada's parents' house where they change and then head to Coates Playhouse, a jazz club serving a mix of black and white patrons.
0: As Janie and Ada enjoy the music and dance, we move through the club out to the back where Chester and Max, two waiters, are on their smoke break. Chester has dreams of becoming a jazz musician, while Max wants to earn enough money to buy a restaurant upstate. They daydream about their upcoming success, and while Chester mocks Max for wanting to leave the city at such an exciting time, Max tells Chester he'll never make it big with a name like Chester Tubbs. (laughs) I disagree, I think it's a fantastic (laughs) name. (laughs) (laughs) The pair return to their duties in the club, and as he moves from table to table, Chester locks eyes with the dancing Janie.
2: After a particularly energetic number, the band take a break and Ada approaches Janie with a group of other white club goers. Ada tells Janie she's going to the Cotton Club, where they've heard Duke Ellington is playing. Janie reminds Ada that she, can, she cannot get into the white-only club, but Ada and her new friends ditch Janie, saying they'll see her soon. Max witnesses this and invites Janie to a speakeasy some of the club's staff are heading to. Janie is hesitant, but agrees.
1: When you say Duke Ellington, all I can think of is fucking Big Mouth, where uh, Jordan peels, says, ah, I'm Duke Ellington!
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> then we're two prostitutes at the same time! <laughs> anyway, um, at the speakeasy, Janie sees Chester dancing with a number of women, but is too shy to join in, despite Max's encouragement. Chester recognises her from the club and approaches her, asking why she isn't dancing when she was so good at the playhouse. She replies that she doesn't know the steps of any of these dances, to which Chester replies, neither does anyone. They're letting the music tell them where to go and what to do. Chester points out several people present, writers, artists, poets and critics, and says they are part of a new wave of black culture that is not ashamed to be itself.
0: As the night continues, Jenny talks more with Max and several of his and Chester's friends, and eventually joins in the dancing. Meanwhile, Chester, after much encouragement from Max, joins the band on stage and plays a lively song on the piano. Afterwards, he and Janie discuss their ambitions, and Chester offers the playhouse as somewhere she can practice. Before she can reply, the police raid the speakeasy, and the two flee, with Chester accompanying Janie back to Ada's parents' house, where she is staying the night.
2: The next day, Ada apologises for leaving Janie behind, and reveals that her rich father has been able to arrange for the pair to audition for dance at Juilliard. Janie returns home and tells her parents, but her father forbids it. He explains how his father fought in the Civil War for Freedom, and how quickly the success of Reconstruction gave way to Jim Crow. He's worried the same will happen for her generation, and that the best she can do is keep her head down.
1: Despite her father's words, Janie returns to Coates' playhouse, where Chester lets her in. She practices dancing while Chester cleans the club, eventually joining in and encouraging her to loosen up and improvise more. The two dance along to records growing closer, but are interrupted by Archie Coates, the proprietor of the club, who chastises Chester for not working. Later, Janie talks to Ada about her developing relationship with Chester. Ada encourages her to
0: see Chester again,
1: and persuades her to return to the playhouse the next evening, despite Janie's worries about disobeying
0: her father. Janie and Ada arrive at the club early, just as Chester is asking Archie for a chance to perform on stage. Seeing the young women arrive, Archie once again berates Chester for having his head in the clouds, and tells him to focus on waiting tables. Despite the argument, Chester is pleased to see Janie, and as the evening goes on, we see him grab what moments he can to talk to her. Meanwhile, she and Ada dance, with Ada noting that Janie's style has grown and evolved.
2: We montage through several scenes as Chester and Janie continue to fall for each other. Janie continues to practice dance at the club during the daytime, and she and Ada continue to visit the playhouse at night, as well as dancing at other clubs and speakeasy with Chester, Max and their friends. Janie is still planning to audition at Juilliard, despite her father's disapproval, and has not mentioned her new relationship with Chester to him.
1: However, after one of his sermons, Janie and Isaiah bump into Ada's parents and her father mentions both the Juilliard plans and the girl's love of jazz. Fucking jazz, man. Furious that she has been disobeying him, Isaiah forbids her from leaving the house. The pair argue and Janie lets slip that she has fallen in love with a musician.
0: (gasps) Not a musician. The worst of all kind. The worst people. There
1: are levels of artists and that's pretty, pretty low. At this, right Ray at Right Jack? Yeah. Right Jack.
2: The, 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 yes. uh, the only thing lower is like a subcategory and that's drama. Oh.
1: <laughs> that's when you know your life's gone off the rails. We don't talk about dramas. <laughs> Neither does anyone else. <laughs> exactly. Neither did the lady. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're Phil Collins or Neil Peart or something. But Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl, but he's not known as a drummer now. He's a guitarist and singer. The Foo
2: Fighters. For for someone who's never been in a band, I know a weird number of drummer jokes. (laughs) (laughs) uh, How can you tell if the stage is level? There's drool coming out both sides of the drummer's mouth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Percussionists. That night, at Coates Playhouse, a pair of gangsters try to shake down Archie, forcing him to turn the club into a speakeasy. Chester intervenes and is badly beaten by the pair who chase after him. He flees to Janie's house, where he is greeted by Isaiah. Despite realising that Chester is likely the person his daughter loves, Isaiah treats his injuries and lets him stay the night as he recovers. And they fall in love. How awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. Um, That's the film I want to see.
2: The next morning, Janie is shocked to discover Chester in her house. Seeing his injuries, she rushes to him and they share a passionate kiss.
1: At oh, Tim, how horny were you when you wrote this?
2: <laughs> I'm always horny. That's my secret cap. Yes.
1: <laughs> sorry, Tim. Do that really good. I'm sorry.
2: Um, at breakfast with her parents, Chester reveals he is a waiter, not a musician, leading to further disapproving looks from Isaiah.
0: What's worse than a musician? A, a waiter. Wait.
2: <laughs> However, when Isaiah begins to rail against jazz, Chester responds by quoting scripture. Psalm fifty-seven seven. if you're interested. Giving Isaiah pause, Chester asks Isaiah if he and Janie will join him at an event he was planning to attend later that day. And after some persuading by Janie, Isaiah agrees.
1: Um, as a You're good Catholic, like, I have no idea what the fucking
2: song is. So at this point. It's uh, it's it's something like uh, like God has God has given me a voice to lift up and be mighty or something like that. Oh, those lines.
0: yeah, cool, fair enough. That makes it's sense one about music. Oh, God is steadfast. Yeah. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. There you go. There, very
1: right, cool. The three meet at a coffee house where the poet Langston Hughes is discussing his latest work and hear him reciting the end of an essay he has written. We younger ah oh, god damn it tim I feel like I'm going to get slated for saying that word even in this context.
0: Nope. Cuz that's quote from Andre 3000. You I know?
1: Know. We younger negro artists who create now intend to express our individual dark skin selves Without fear or shame. If white people are pleased, we are glad. If they are not, it doesn't matter. We know we are beautiful and ugly too. The Tom Tom cries and the Tom Tom laughs. If coloured people are pleased, we are glad. If they are not, their displeasure doesn't matter either. We build our temples for tomorrow, strong as we know how, and we stand on top of the mountain free within ourselves. Which is a great fucking quote.
0: Moved by the words, Isaiah agrees to allow Janie to audition for Juilliard and to continue seeing Chester. In the days before the audition, she and Ada practice together at Ada's house. However, on the day of the audition, Ada steals Janie's routine, performing it before Janie has a chance to. Janie confronts Ada, who tries to poo-poo the accusation, saying that it's just a dance. Janie is called in to audition and initially freezes, but recalls Chester's words about letting the music tell her where to go, and performs an improvised routine.
2: Despite her breathtaking dance, Janie is turned down by Juilliard, She finds Chester at the club, and he consoles her, but she says that now she's seen the kind of people she would be learning with, she's glad she was rejected. As the club fills up with patrons, including Janie's parents, Ada attempts to enter, celebrating a successful audition, but Chester, Max, and their friends block her, telling her that she's not welcome. Ada leaves in a huff, as Janie embraces Chester.
0: As the
1: night's music gets underway, Archie pulls Chester to one side, to thank him for his help in seeing off the gangsters. Archie gestures to the stage where Max comes to the microphone and announces the Coates Playhouse is proud to introduce a promising new musician. Putting the mic to one side, he tells Chester that he's not going to let him start his career with such a terrible name, and so asks the crowd to welcome Tito Suarez to the stage. Chester performs a blistering stride piano piece, accompanied by the band. At the end, he leaps down at the crowd and he and Janie dance as the band continues to play.
0: Nice. T- Tito Suarez is the the guy in the original "Daddy Dancing." He is. The, yeah. He is that's the, the again, band the leader. <laughs> yes, he's the band leader. Yeah. Who, if memory serves, in the TV
1: version is Billy D. Williams. <laughs> 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 I could be, which be wrong with that, but I think that's right.
2: Kind of makes sure. sense, actually. It, it does. Not
1: terrible. Yeah.
2: I think I looked at Billy D. as 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 possible casting at at one point for uh, for for one of the roles in this.
0: He maybe maybe work as an Isaiah. Yeah.
2: As a kind of like, yeah. I like Michael father, Dawn's kind
0: of. presence because his voice is so boomy and he's oh, so Michael tall. He's such just, a good voice. He has
2: great, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Um, Tim, I really like it. Me too. Yeah. See you next week,
0: everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I think in particular, the way you've gone from, you know, we we talked about class issues and female issues and, and like, you know, women's rights over the use of their body and all that kind of stuff from the first one. This very obviously talks about race Mm. in, in a very interesting way as well. And I Mm. I like how, especially at the end there, you have kind of the turnaround where Janie is the one getting, you know, accepted in the club and Ada gets turned away and you've turned on its head in that way as well. And I think that, that works really well as kind of illustrating kind of where America was at that time. Like, Mm. as soon as you said like, Oh, it's a white only club. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's a thing.
2: It's a it's a fascinating part of history. Um the the Harlem Renaissance for people who don't know is is this kind of explosion <coughs> of of African American culture that happened in the kind of mid nineteen twenties. Um and responsible for these like amazing writers and uh dancers, musicians, like it's kind of the birth of like a different it's kind of when jazz moved from the south and like new orleans and and louisiana up to new york and and kind of brought in like uh the kind of the piano sound to jazz in addition to you know what the the brass that had existed before and there's yeah and it's also in the middle of prohibition so you've got that to contend with so you've got organized crime like there's it's a really interesting point in history and i wanted to kind of dig into some of that And, you know, there's this kind of nods to famous figures. Obviously, Langston Hughes literally like shows up in the film. And then we have mentions Mm -hmm. of like Duke Ellington, Josephine Baker, just to kind of acknowledge how much of a fertile period this was for like amazing people.
1: To to put it bluntly, without this period, we don't have the kind of cultural world we have now Mm. in terms of music, especially and film, obviously, and things like that and storytelling in general. I think it's, it's vitally important. And it's also really important to mention the just the general backlash to it. It was not something that was accepted in any way, shape or form in the same way that if we didn't have the Dark Ages, so we'd be like, you know, leagues ahead of where we are now in terms of technology and all sorts. We had like, you know, a couple of centuries of just backward fucking repression, as it were. At least in, 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 in Europe especially. But with this as well, you think to yourself, well, if, if, say, for example, right from the fucking get-go, with all the morals we have in, in, in a lot of the stories that around this time, if people just embraced it right from the start across the board, I can't even imagine where we would be as a people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's 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 it is a very interesting, as you say, a melting pot point in time.
2: And there's a there's a lot of you know, there were there were plenty of people who were Kind of fascinated with the culture, but not in a you know. They, it was the the kind of thing of the Cotton Club was the most influential club where yes. all the big performers played, but African Americans weren't even allowed in it. Like the, the 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 performers were the only people of color who were allowed into the venue, and the rest was just for white people. And and there's this you know this kind of appropriation and kind of almost like a culture tourism aspect that we still see to get today. And there was also like clashes within the African-American community because there was uh, basically between kind of like working class and the f- one of the first generations of like affluent African-Americans who'd kind of gone through reconstruction and moved out of the South um, before kind of Jim Crow really came in. So there's, there's this whole pile of tensions that I've tried to kind of bring in and have represented, you know, and... and I am by no means a scholar of this period, so you know, I'm sure that there are bits that I've probably misrepresented, unfortunately, not intentionally. But as we mentioned in the Zulu
1: Dawn episode, we're not making a documentary; we're bringing a, like the, the the feel of a time period through a medium of a story that is around it. I think you've done that very well, in my opinion. I think the only thing, and it's not an, it's not a critique; it's 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 an observation about the industry, if you will. Jack, do you, do you? I don't know if you still have it, but do you remember that quote that Roger Ebert gave about the original Dirty Dancing?
0: I can uh, certainly get it up for you. Yeah, Thanks. With
1: me. On screen. I'm just going for symmetry because you read it out earlier. I'm going to be reading it again. That's all. That's, that's uh, rather than me doing it
0: myself. Bear with me. Let me scroll down. Reception. Here we go. Ebert gave it a thumbs down due to its idiotic plot and called it a tired and relentlessly predictable story of love between kids from different backgrounds. As
1: much as I hate to say it, not the idiotic plot bit, but I wouldn't be surprised if the critical reaction to this wouldn't be the same thing as saying, "Oh, it's all very yeah, it's it's got all the key points, and it's it's quite reductive, and it doesn't, it, it's just a boring love story." And again, that's not me saying that, Tim, because mm. I disagree. I think it's a really strong story. I really enjoy it, but I know, critically speaking, when these things are addressed, people tend to say, "Oh, yeah, but it's." <laughs> In the same way, they'll say, "Oh, this is a film for women," mm. like *Dirty uh, Dancing*. I think they'll say, "Oh, this is a film for minorities." Mm. It's it's bashing the 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 whites. The whites are the bad guys. Ah, it's it's not that good. And I think that's the and not, again, fuck that opinion. That doesn't matter. But I think that's something that it would definitely come up against. Shall we say? Yeah. It'd be more respected now than it would have in two thousand two, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, yeah. We always say we kind of don't we don't worry about how these things are gonna be marketed <laughs> entirely. Ent- uh, <laughs> We're trying we, to make a when, good film. Yeah. yeah. And I think that this would definitely be, you know, um something it's it's not the kind of film that Hollywood makes. You know, thankfully it would be it wouldn't be huge budget. Um obviously yeah. you've got the kind of historical setting to contend with, but you know, there's no explosions. <laughs>
0: Except explosions of jazz,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think the, the key thing here is that
1: I think you would face a lot of a backlash from people who are like, oh, this is a dirty dancing film, but it's not dirty dancing. One, well, hang on a minute. And I think all of those people could fuck right off, <laughs> but I think there would definitely be, be resistance to it. And I think that also from the production stage, but it doesn't matter because this is a more interesting story. It's not just as you say, oh, look, it's Johnny Castle learning how to dance. Who gives a fuck? Oh look, it's the Hausmans, where you know yeah. Daddy Hausman went to to fucking medical school, and he was a rebel dancer. Nobody fucking <laughs> cares. That is tedious. This is actually a genuinely interesting story. Doesn't feel too. Doesn't feel shoehorned. It feels like a progression. Of like these background guys, that you know, the setting for the entire movie that you enjoy through Dirty Dancing. You want to hear about their story? I don't know. Do I? Yes, you do. <laughs> so yeah. Again, it's 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 a, it's an observation, as I say, rather than a, a, a critique or a compliment or anything like that. But yeah, but yeah, um, but I still really I really like it. I don't think that I genuinely don't know if there's anything I would actually change to this in my opinion. Especially under the direction's all good. The cast, I have no problem with the cast at all. I, again, you can always think of a few alternatives. Again, ah, maybe this person, but that would be change for the sake of change because mm. I can't see anything. So,
2: like, yeah, it was getting the right people for the main. Characters was obviously like crucial, and I, uh, you know, both Zoe Seldana and Tay Diggs have like a history of dance and Agreed, yeah. Yeah. music, so that to me kind of that was that was core you want you want like we were saying like we were saying earlier you want those people who are moving with their hips who 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 have danced for a long while and that you haven't had to like do oh we've we've done a six week boot camp where we've taught you all the dances from this film but nothing else because you don't have time you know you have just got to learn these dances
1: yeah so you don't have the rhythm of it you have literally the idea of i've got my mechanic steps and if i step outside of that one instruction manual as it were Mm. Oh fuck. Yeah. Yeah. But these been to I And know. like
2: I genuinely think like obviously this is, you know, a bit like how we whenever we like there's a big battle. <laughs> it's it's hard to write just like they, there's a big dance, it's really good. Mm. But hopefully, like with, with Kenny Ortega back as a choreographer and like Casey Levins who I think could could bring interesting stuff to the direction, I think it would it would hopefully be kind of visually interesting. Uh, as well and and as I mentioned like obviously Taye Diggs is in it like it's around the time of Chicago as well so it might kind of key into a little bit of that idea which obviously set around the same period but a very different yeah. kind of film and kind of story um, it'd be interesting to see how those two played the off each other.
1: between them. I, I think yeah. that's very interesting yeah yeah like I could see them being double billed at some point I mean two different types of musically driven films. Mm.
0: Yeah I think the cast you've picked him is particularly key in that it just perfectly encapsulates what you were going for i think as matt said i think if you wanted to change anything it really would be us just kind of nitpicking for the sake of nitpicking and then that's not what i want this show to be Mm. like Mm. i know in pre in previous like iterations and stuff you kind of had to like oh yeah the other team has to criticize the other team and all that kind of stuff And, and with this new format i think it's a lot more kind of focused on oh maybe we'd change this for this reason because of if you have an actual reason to do it rather than just, yeah. you know, twiddling and all that kind of stuff. I think it's kind of a perfect cast <laughs> Like yeah. that everyone, you know, like you said, maybe, maybe somebody else could take Michael Dawn's role in Isaiah, mm. but I think Dawn has the right presence. And as Matt said, the voice of Worf, mm. like bringing <laughs> that gravitas to that role and having him be a reverend and, a, and, you know, in a position of power and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. is, it makes it, adds a, another weight to it as well. Yeah.
2: The The other person who I considered for that was Delroy Lindo.
0: Ah,
1: Delroy mm, Lindo. Yeah, nice. he's great. Mm. Again, yeah. tall, deep-voiced, strong, powerful presence in, in the screen. And it's uh, people who have always played quietly powerful people. I know we don't like, you know, through being a Klingon and, and stuff, obviously <laughs> Dawn has done lots of actual shouting and punching, but I like the kind of actor where you don't have to because they can just look at you mm. Or a character, and you think, shit, I don't want to fuck him off. That 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 genuine presence, mm. um, and uh, yeah, Daryl is a very interesting show. That's a really good. That's a really good call. But yeah, Dawn, I think I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel the need to replace him anyway, shape or form.
2: Yeah. The the one thing that I was sort of annoyed with myself. <clears throat> sorry, I say that again. Uh, the one thing that I was sort of annoyed with myself at not. Mm. I I couldn't find a elegant way to fit it in the film
0: is it shoehorning Swayze in there as a dance
2: instructor no <laughs> um, and it's weird we mentioned it earlier in my Prometheus pitch like uh, which we think was shoehorning in aliens Fucking hell, uh, was which gratuitous
0: sex scene yeah we, it, <laughs> uh,
2: which was the first time we'd like had a film with a sex scene as a part of a pitch and like obviously in um, in Dirty Dancing like yeah. the fact that um, Baby Loses Her Virginity is like quite a key part of it and um, sure. And it it makes, and especially the fact that you know, D- uh, Dirty Dancing also deals with things like abortion and stuff like that. Of course, of course. It makes this film film feel a little bit chaste by comparison. I guess, yeah. Like I say, I couldn't I couldn't find an elegant way to have it in there without it feeling like it it just kind of happened, like the 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 kind of the story that the yeah. the, the the story of these like two people kind of going. Through their journey And as much as it's about Their relationship It's also about Both of them Their ambitions And where they Mm. want to go with In life There wasn't really room for that So I don't know Like maybe Maybe that Maybe that Stripped something out of it
1: Mm, No I think Again You have a 2002 audience I don't know If they would have gained More from there being A lot of writing I think I think that might not have Chimed well mm. It might not have sat With your And I'm not saying That oh, oh 2002 Nobody wanted to see Sexual scenes Because <laughs> that's
2: bullshit we keep, we keep our grinding On the dance floor
1: Yeah I think that would be I think it would uh, Like the passionate kiss stuff like, I, mean, I think there would be Definite chemistry between them And it would work Really really well mm. I don't think we'd need To make it Anything more than that Really
0: You can use dancing As a metaphor Yes for-
1: you know, I mean, all dancing and songs usually just, are a code for fucking. Yeah, I always exactly, turn to people and yeah, say, What's yeah. this about? What do you think the song's about? Oh, that's right. Fuck it. <laughs>
0: and, as, and as much as we joked about, you know, you debuting, I think, the first sex scene in sequelizers history in Prometheus. <laughs> if you put one in this one as well, we'd have to start labelling you as like horny Tim. Yeah, t- sex
1: boy! <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Gone from angry Tim in Resident Evil to horny Tim in Prequelizer.
1: If only there was sex scenes in Resident Evil, Tim would have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> and they cut every...
0: are there? I don't think if there is.
1: Maybe there no, is. No, no, I don't think there are actually
0: with pumping new metal in the
1: background. <laughs> yeah, and uh, 57 cuts per 30 seconds of footage. Like, oh, God, I don't know what I'm looking at. But, but it's
2: romantic. And But don't worry, guys, I will definitely put a sex scene in my next pitch. I'm pretty sure I know what your next pitch is. Yeah. Don't.
0: <laughs> we know what's coming up. Please don't. <laughs>
1: or do. I'm very curious. <laughs> I don't know how the mechanics of that I've works. I always
0: wondered how that worked. <laughs> <laughs> There's a tease
1: <laughs> teasers for the audience.
2: But yeah, I was I was like once this came together I was I was pretty pleased with it. So um mm. I'm glad i yeah, it's it's
1: solid. I like it. I think it's a really good film and I'm I am i I'm again one of the classic moments where I'm like ah I mean uh, to be fair, I'm with this both sequelized and prequelizes pictures. I'm like ah, I'm disappointed this didn't exist. It's <laughs> oh,
0: disappointing. Um it's, it's so much more interesting and has so much more to say than Havana Nights. That's, yeah. That's quintessentially what it boils down to for me.
1: It is. It, and I think as well that we said this at the start of the season, prequalizing is very difficult. Mm. Finding a point, as as Tim said, because the sequel, you can go, I can go anywhere. I can tell any story I want to. This is great. It's a launch pad. I can go anywhere. Whereas when you're doing a prequel and that's the mandate you've got, you're like, right, I got to scour this fucker for something. Mm. It doesn't feel tacked on or pointless. I got to feel, I got to something that's going to make it work. And I think you've done it in a really interesting and, and, um, pleasing manner
2: good good i mean to be fair i would not know where a sequel to dirty dancing would want to go to go either
1: um, that's a good point i don't know um, cuba yeah. <laughs> <laughs> again it's the saturday night fever mindset isn't it it's like the whole well what's there what's the threads and such but um, yeah
2: yeah yeah good work tim thank you so yeah that
0: pretty much wraps us up for dirty dancing havana nights aka Dirty Dancing Harlem Nights. If you have any suggestions or strong opinions on Havana Nights for some reason, or Tim's pitch of Harlem Nights, you can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are Sequelizers on all of the social media. You can also email us, Sequelizers at gmail.com. And you can also join us in the Discord. If you like, you can go to our Twitter, go to the pin tweet at the top of our page and click the invite, the little next to the word, Discord, and you can join us in there and once the new episode's released, we pretty much have a little open discussion and go a bit behind the scenes and discuss our process and all that kind of stuff with the guys in there. So if you want to know some more, you want to chat to us directly, join us on the Discord as well. It's a lovely little community of listeners and uh, the three of us are pretty active and hanging out in there and chatting and stuff. So, yeah, come I'm join picking, us in there as well.
1: Picking some fights. <laughs>
0: <laughs> about about Godzilla, for any chance? About anything. Fucking anything. And Daredevil. <laughs> you,
1: the fucking hell. I'm not picking that fight. I'm fighting that fight. I'm standing my ground. Uh, You're the one picking the fight, son.
0: I'm ready. I'm ready to pick that fight. That—that's a hill I'm willing to die. On. <laughs> willing to kill, to Matt. Privilege. On. <laughs> so like, yes, yeah, you yes, will die. I'm gonna—I'm gonna, yeah. gonna lift
1: that fight. Oh, I'll win. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Matt, if people want to uh, attack you for your terrible taste in films from 1998 to 2003, have <laughs> do they do that on the internet?
1: You can find me on various social media sites. Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. You can read my reviews, the theradrighthand.co.uk, or you can see the things I make at cheesement.com.
2: Timothy! You can dance with me on Twitter. Oh, thanks, nice, Digitally. Uh, at trivia underscore lad. And uh, yeah, I post there about anything interesting I'm doing. And other than that, I'm, you know, around on the Discord. Feel free to holler at me if you have opinions, or if you want to share your favourite Langston Hughes poetry.
1: I feel that so many people are missing out because we, there's no visuals of what we're doing right now.
2: <laughs> we are we've we've it's turned into a dance spectacular with mm. choreography rivaling Havana Nights. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it.
2: Oh, Jack. Hello. Where can people find you if they are looking for you on the internet?
0: JLW Chambers is the place to find me on all the social medias. No, I promise no dancing. How about that? The... <laughs> it's a promise you probably, can't a, keep. probably a safer bet. <laughs> I think I'm the danciest say, of, I...
1: of the three of us. Oh, most definitely. Yeah.
0: Probably, yeah, yeah. yeah. Matt's definitely the least, and I'm somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I think that's a, We've got the full scale of white guy dancing and <laughs> <the> things. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh,
2: I will wear a Hawaiian shirt and I will shake my ass at people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we expect nothing less. Of course, if you would like to see Tim dance in a Hawaiian shirt and throw money at him. <laughs> you can do that on the streets. But if you'd like to give us money more directly, you can also, go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. That's a new stretch
2: goal for us. <laughs>
0: exactly, yeah. That's the new stretch goal. Absolutely. You know, the live show, Tim, has to come out in a Hawaiian shirt. Dance. <laughs> Shit.
2: What, what do you think, when it's my turn to host a live stream, what do you think it's going to be? <laughs>
0: <laughs> touché, touché. Well, speaking of live streams, if you support us in the $10 level or above you get loads of bonus content so you can go and enjoy all that good stuff and uh, there's loads of other tiers and extra content and you can go higher or lower anything from a dollar up to fifty dollars a month and uh, yeah we'd appreciate any support you can give if you're unable to support us financially you can of course review us on apple podcasts google podcasts our friends over at stitcher Your podcast app of choice. Take your pick and review us on there and share us around. We'd very much appreciate it. I have
2: recently heard people saying that actually the only one that matters is Apple Podcasts in terms of rating and reviews. Oh, it does. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you've got a choice, do that.
0: (laughs) But also fuck Apple. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, we would be remiss to finish the episode without mentioning our lovely executive producer patrons, beginning with the wonderful... Mr. Jonathan Firth Clark. That Latin clap for you there. <laughs> <laughs> do like a little sound. There was no the rhythm to that shit. <laughs> yes, there how dare you. You'll, not my you'll one. hear it in the edit. It's fine. No, not yours. We don't trust you to clap in time out. And of course, Mr Stuart Main. Okay. And last but certainly not least, Mike Salvia. And with that out of the way, we thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week for another episode of Prequelizers.